is the podcast to the show. You can listen to or know. Welcome to our Ted Lasso talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the Lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. Okay. Welcome, everybody. I am your host, Coach Castleton. And with me from beautiful Los Angeles is Coach Bishop. How's it going? And from gorgeous, sunny Chicago. <laughs> there we go. Uh-huh. <laughs> I- our, our boss, Emily Chambers. I was slightly worried for a second there where you were going with that. But yes, obviously, equally beautiful Chicago. I I mean, it was um, almost 16 degrees when I woke up on Saturday. How could you possibly top that? It's amazing. There's something about Chicago cold. It's not even like to, to (laughs) to measure it with degrees like it's like a normal place strikes me as ridiculous. I was was Christmas Eve. This is true. The coldest I've ever been in my entire life. I'm in Homewood, Illinois, where my my uh, my wife's lovely family lives, and we come out of midnight service before on Christmas Eve, and it is so cold that I stand in front of the church, and I came out and I was just confused, like I couldn't mm-hmm. process what to do next. And finally, like a little voice inside me was like, the car, you need to go to the car. Like I was that the car. cold. Like everything shut yeah. down. I was like, this is how people die in snowstorms. I was like, oh my God. Like, I can't think. My brain has ceased working. So, yeah, Chicago. I I would like to mention, since we're doing this with a video feed, that when Coach Bishop was talking about coming to the doors, he actually did do like a brace, like physically <laughs> braced himself and then leaned forward a little bit as if the. Um, remembering having to that's do true. that and force himself out of the church doors. That's I didn't amazing. even do that consciously, so I, that's great. No, you did that. I'd also like to mention that uh, my mother, who is mostly a lifelong Chicagoan, she did split some time in uh, Cincinnati, and that's why we don't eat her chili, because <laughs> it's wrong. It's wrong and bad. But I saw her yesterday and she said that when she went out on Saturday morning, she said, oh, well, I saw it was 18 degrees and I thought it would be fine. But they didn't tell you they're stabbing you with a million icicles throughout your whole body. It's cold oh everywhere. God. So it's it's not that beautiful, sunny L.A. has ruined you. It's that it's oh that cold. Here. But today it's going to be 48. So I'm going to go sunbathing. <laughs> Who's streaking? <laughs> <laughs> So on today's episode, we are going to cover (laughs) season three, episode two. I don't want to go to, in parentheses, Chelsea. And we know it's written by Sasha Garon. Sasha Garon. We don't know yet who uh, has directed it um, because I forgot to write it down when we watched our screener. And we will add that uh, to part two when I assume we become more. Uh, professional. <laughs> or, <laughs> now, <laughs> mighty big promise. Back for those, mighty big promise. There, yeah. Buddy. Everybody, for those of you who are just joining us, um, we started this podcast, started recording it during the pandemic when Ted Lasso first came out. And Coach, you were talking a little bit uh, before we started rolling about your experience of listening to those old episodes because we basically recorded 
everything. And then we didn't launch until much to the chagrin of all of our family and friends who were like, what are you doing? You have a thousand hours and, and like no one can listen to it. Mm-hmm. So um, we launched uh, in in uh, conjunction with season three and we, we thank everyone who's jumped on to join us. Um, but listening to some of those old episodes, uh, it's funny because the big edit I had to do uh, before we launched was our first episode, we spent about 35 minutes explaining how great Ted Lasso was and why we were uh, excited about it because we recorded it like, right. uh, you know, a week after it right. launched and uh, we were edgy and fresh back then. <laughs> we, we were ahead of it. I'm like, it sounded so stupid now. It's like, yes, this is this is an iconic, uh, beloved um, worldwide show. So, sure. Coach, what's your experience of going back and listening to those older episodes for the first time? Well, it's been it's it's been a lot of fun, one, but the context really matters in terms of how we took in Ted Lasso. I think why it took off the way it did. I know people have talked about the positivity of it, but we were really locked in our homes in a pandemic, disconnected from other humans. I mean, it it really was this unbelievable time. I'm of the opinion that we're, you know, collective post-traumatic state. So we're all kind of acting as if that never happened. Um, but it was interesting to go back and listen to the way we were talking about it. Sort of matter of factly, at one point, boss, you're talking about it, you go, you know, in the before times when we could see people. And I was like, oh, yeah. Mm. Like there was a time that was normal. <laughs> And then there was a time that was totally <laughs> insane. And then now there's this kind of insane pretending to be normal time. And it put it all in context of what we went through kind of with Ted, although we didn't watch Ted go through a pandemic in an interesting way. So at any rate, I thought it was it it it, it adds to why I love the show, because it really showed up right on time for me. Yeah, I agreed with all of that. Um, especially thinking about the early days of the pandemic and how insane everything was. And, and like, not just you have to stay in your house and you can't go anywhere, but also you should wash the outside of your groceries. Like we were doing right. bizarre shit. Right. Yeah. Um, also, uh, quick shout out. Wait a sec. Wait, we can stop washing our groceries? <laughs> it's a, the outside. Hey, hey, don't wash bread. Please don't do that to your children. That sounds like it would be terrible. I know that the TikToks have come up with a lot of really terrible recipes, but don't <laughs> wash bread. Don't deconstruct pasta and reconstruct it. And like, just don't. Just, don't. just eat regular food. Um, yeah. So the early before times when, or the early pandemic times when everything was super weird. Also, um, God bless the Ted Lasso team for being so involved in social media at the time. Mm. Cause not only was it a good, like, here's a great show that everybody loves, but then you got to go into sort of a little community on Twitter or wherever else. And people are like, Hey, this really nice show is really nice. And the people who make it are being really nice to you. So are you interested? And I don't, you know, I'm sure there are people, you know, at the point that my company has a social media manager, I'm pretty confident that some of these folks do too, but it felt very personal early on. I mean, now mm-hmm. we've got, you know, all the Emmys and the way, but it did kind of feel like we were in this little club. We knew about this show. They were excited that we were excited that they were, I mean, it was just, uh, it felt like, you know, like, <laughs> oh, we're, you know, we've got this little secret, which is different now, but it was fun to reconnect to that energy. And I still remember coach hitting me up and saying, listen to me, you have to watch this. 
now. And he rarely does. He'll put something on my list, but rarely is it like, no, no, no. I've never done that. everything. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. And I watched the first weekend when those four first four episodes were out, I watched all four, four times. And that was just the beginning of my, like, insane obsession with Ted Lasso. I mean, as as you both know, I'm well over 20 viewings now, pretty much, of the series. It's it's nuts. Yeah, and that was specific to you, Coach. That was, I was like, Coach, I was like, Orlando Bishop needs to see <laughs> yeah. what, I, what I have witnessed. It, yeah. it was like, it was uh, magic. you know, you, you, you're, you're, you know, the first person to take mushrooms on the, on the ocean, <laughs> and you're like, I really wish wish you could see this, man. It's pretty great. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that was great. My my original uh, entree into it was I was watching Mythic Quest, and I think it was a Thursday night or Wednesday or something, some random middle of the week night, and I threw on five minutes of Ted Lasso, and we know what happens in the first five minutes with the Wichita State Shockers, and I um I said, all right, I'm just two thirty in the morning in the East in Boston where I'm recording from, and um. I ended up watching all four of the available first episodes into the, you know, break a break of dawn and, and then got off and waited until it was morning in California, woke coach up and said, go do this immediately. Best, best advice uh, you've ever given me. Not a high bar, but still. No you deserve credit. Sadly. Um, and then a boss, t- do you remember your first? foray into the world of Ted Lasso. I remember we were like sort of uh, texting about it and maybe we were on message boards together. I was trying to figure out exactly when we figured out. Yeah. I was trying to think about that too, because um, I think similarly, I was watching mythic quest on Apple TV. Um, I'm pretty sure it was one of those Saturdays where I needed something else to watch and uh, said to the boyfriend, do you have any interest in watching Jason Sudeikis do an extended commercial for soccer? And he was like, well, no, but we can't go anywhere or do anything. So fine. I think I tweeted about how pandemic is really horrible, but Ted Lasso is helping. And then Castleton, you texted me and you're like, you're watching Ted Lasso. We need to do lots of things about this. Talk yeah. about this a lot. Yeah. And and now you're regretting every moment of all of that. <laughs> It's been uh, it's been eye opening putting you two together. Um, we have uh, <laughs> yeah, you fucked up. We, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to go to Chelsea, so um, we open. Uh, oh, oh, I meant to mention we're doing this a little differently because of the tight schedule. Okay, over the last few years, we've been recording at our own pace, leisurely, watching the episodes eight times. We write these show docs to make sure we're all on the same page and the show docs take a week to write. And now we're trying to condense that into, you know, a, a reasonable time so we can get the podcast out in time for people to listen. And so there's going to be uh, mistakes and things we, we overlook. Um, sometimes, you know, we watched a screener for the, for the pilot and in the um, there's a, there's a moment where Ted says, um, uh, uh, way to notice something, Otis, in the first right, and and in the 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 um, uh, the, the uh, what do you call it? The um, oh, show doc. 
Transcript. No shit. All right. Uh, captions. God there damn it. Go. Couldn't think of the word. In the captions for like when you put on closed captioning, it said Mr. Otis. So I was like, all right. So, so granted, you can't always trust the captions, but I thought, okay, for, for this. But what, what was it really, coach? It's Amos Otis, which I picked up when I watched the actual Apple TV airing with my, with uh, my wife. I said, oh, Amos. And I have to toss in that I was an absolute baseball fanatic as a kid. So I'm, I absolutely had, and maybe even have, I will now look through all of them, but an Amos Otis baseball card. So I knew as soon as I, heard Amos Otis clearly, I was like, oh my God, he played for the Royals. That makes all the sense. So I, I'm pretty confident that's what it was. Right. Kansas City. Oh, Late okay. a notice, Amos Otis. So right. wait a, good job picking up on that, coach. Um there's also another thing, and I have to go explore this. And and for those of you who were um listening last week in confusion, um I we we spent a little time about talking about floppy cocks, which is what you do on podcasts if you want to <laughs> make the big money. <laughs> and in the broadcast episode, I noticed she said filthy cocks. I mean, it filthy kind cocks. of feels like a similar insult. I mean, floppy or filthy, you're not getting near them is one thing. You, you wouldn't be excited about it. Floppy That's a cocks. Point. Right floppy cock, as Coach pointed out, was what um, Keely called Rebecca. You're being a right floppy cock when she was not apologizing to Ted. It also is harkens back to the South Park episode about Game of Thrones, where I don't know if you remember this one, where they did a sing along, floppy, 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 floppy. It was about, it was all about how there's tons of full frontal nudity, oh. uh, male nudity, and um, yeah, in. And then the other one I thought is filthy cock is kind of a Norm Macdonald thing. And maybe oh. that was a little homage to uh, our dear departed friend and legendary comedian Norm Macdonald, who would talk about his constantly refer to, to his quote unquote filthy cock. So um, hmm. I thought, mm-hmm. oh, maybe that's that's what it is. But uh, for, for those of you um, who um, like accuracy in your podcast, I can't say that we'll always get there but if we miss we'll at least try to own it and uh be curious and not judgmental and we hope uh that you will forgive us and if you are interested in having lord castleton explain what a cock is to your kid <laughs> now that now that the the, the the morning commute's been really spiced up um yeah. that's at lord castleton on twitter mm-hmm. yeah it's a uh it's a male rooster, male chicken is, uh, <laughs> is typically kids. Um, we open with a uh, the song "Good as Hell." It was a great opening. It was a mashup, if I'm not mistaken, right? It sounded yeah. like "Good as Hell" mashed up with "Lovely Day" or like whatever. I was like, "Oh damn, this is nice!" And it, it the mood it set was great. Uh, the lighting was upbeat. We got all these dolly shots uh, left to right. KJPR. Oh, I messed up with that. I thought it was just KJP last week, but I said KJP and we said, oh, Keely Jones publicity, but it looks like Keely Jones public relations. There's a cool neon KJPR sign. Um, then you get these, these, these sort of oneers of the staff that I don't know. I don't know these people. I don't know the names of these characters yet. They get the nervous Nelly guy in the suit. Um, 
you get a an insert of a gorgeous bouquet of flowers. Despite didn't didn't Barbara knock knock that off the budget line? Maybe this is a this is a, a, a sort of artifact from the from the pre order yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. It has to either be an artifact, either leftover from last week or pre ordered and couldn't be canceled in time. Barbara is not going to be putting up with additional flowers, though. I I really I really as Tevin said, I appreciate you for jumping in because I know that you're going to be the one <laughs> to scratch off budget line items. Um, yeah. I've never told you about the marketing budget for this podcast because you would shut it down. Oh. There is no marketing budget, but um, but if there were, yeah. I'm sure you would run a run a red line through it. Well, I mean, it depends on if you actually have them itemized. If you're just like showing me random numbers, no, you put the work together first, and then I'll review it. Obviously, obviously. last week you said you only have so much money. You you do only have so I much know. money, and I really hated that. I hated hearing it. And I hated the reality of it. And I hated how right you felt in that moment. And so, anyway, um, we were looking yeah. at flowers, beautiful bouquet of flowers. Um, then we get the, I don't know, again, I don't want to describe these people only by their looks, but I don't know. Uh, there's a there's a woman, a brunette woman there. Um, there's one of these. Is, this, is yeah. this like when I have to say all the bad swear words related to vaginas because I'm a woman? So as the accountant, I have to say they're super boring in accountants because I can do that. I'm fine okay, with sure. Yeah, that, I'd be yeah, great. No. Yeah, yes. They're still humans. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Mean, we'll suspend our disbelief. Go. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Listen, you guys would not believe the shit that accountants say about people in finance. So, like, it's fine. It's if if you were uh, 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 marketing in major in college, if you went to a business college yeah. and you were management or marketing. Yeah. Accountants talk shit about really? you. I'm sorry about that. We shouldn't have. Now that I'm a, a, more of an adult, I know we shouldn't have, but oh, yes. Accountants fucking walked around the business college like we were the hottest shit. It makes no sense. Funny. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> okay. Shades of And I like little there. glimpses into um, your personal life. Yeah. <laughs> The fact that Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec is the coolest accountant we have makes me so sad and somehow proud at the same time. Oh, yeah. It's so oh. accurate. Calculator. No, um, no. 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 Still um, uh, so we get a shot, an insert of Keeley's discarded Versace platform heels, pink, beautiful, I'm guessing hyper expensive um, heels. We get a uh, the dude with the ponytail, the, the, the worker there that has the ponytail. Um, and then we get the close up on Trixie Bell, the leopard, uh, statue in Keeley's office, which, uh, you might remember, uh, when Roy and Keeley were in her office at the end of last season and he, he, you know, uh, invited her to go on a six week vacation. And she's like, no, you go. And she left the office and he was there alone with Trixie Bell, the, the, uh, the leopard. And then he growled. He went, at the leopard before he walked out. Um, then we uh, we center on Barbara. And what is Barbara explaining, uh, boss? Of the overtime. So remember, the client pays for the shoot, but we pay for the overtime. Whatever you do, don't go over. And Keely, because she doesn't understand about money and overtime, says, 
but make the commercial as good as possible too, right? And Barbara says, eh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's fine. Being good is not as good as being under budget. I, I love that that was your reaction because I had a decidedly different reaction. <laughs> oh, I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. I, know. I was like, well, yeah, if we, it's better to, you know. Um, what's funny is I went to school for for producing. That's that's actually what my, my graduate degree is in. So I'm very sensitive um, to, you know, hey, there's a budget, there's a schedule. This is not, you know, your home art project. But the fact that Barbara was just actively disinterested in it being good, I found fun. Like I, that made me that made me laugh, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Well, they're gonna have to find a little balance there." But yeah, she was like, "Yeah, I don't really care if you just if it's just a black screen for thirty seconds, so long as you don't go over budget." So, mm-hmm. good, good or not, does not affect Barbara's life. Absolutely immaterial. Correct. Especially as we see uh, in, later in the episode. So uh, Keely says, oh, come on, Barbara. Um, um, oh, no, I'm sorry. This is, I jumped ahead. Keely says, uh, you know, she also had an idea that, that maybe they could all have a picnic together in the conference room. And Barbara says, oh, yeah, no, I can't. She says, I didn't, I didn't tell you when it was. And Barbara says, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what does Keely say to that, Coach? It could be fun. And, you know, she's putting on her pink heels and it could be fun. I, there's nothing so far about Barbara that says she would be interested in anything being fun or that she really has any idea of what fun is. So I just think it's great that Keely, it's almost unfathomable to Keely that she would pitch a conference room picnic and no one would jump on that opportunity. Um, if you, uh, by the way, if anyone here is a prisoner of war, um, in in our podcast, that would be uh, Coach's new puppy, Biggie give Smalls. Me se- give me a sec here. Um, Let me see if he who, needs who is, uh, I'm coming. Yeah, that's fine. Um, he he is he is wonderful. God, he's a beaut. There's also a chance that it's the prisoner of war I'm keeping in my apartment too. <laughs> I try to keep him quieter. Oh, it's a him. But who knows? It's a him. Interesting. No, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Okay, so Keely says, hey, we could get to know each other a little. Maybe loosen things up around here. And Barbara says, well, I've worked with this lot, and yeah, this is as loose as they get. Keely looks out, and the dude the dude the, the, in the suit shoots up. And what cracked me up about how he stood was that his knees were locked together, like pointed inward, like knock-kneed. Like, so he wasn't fully erect. He was just sort of, um, sort of just popped up nervously. Uh, like, it reminded me of a meerkat, and and mm-hmm. and uh, was that you get that vibe too, uh, boss? Okay, all right, good. Yep. And so Keely's like, "Hmm, we'll see about that, Babs." And what does Babs say? Oh no, I do not. Right. She's like, "Oh, oh, you know, no, no, let's not do it." And Keely says, "Yep, I felt that as soon as I said it." Which I was like, "Oh, that's too bad because I kind of liked the Babs. I kind of liked it was a Ted Lasso way to loosen Ted uses nickname. Yes." And yes. to build familiarity yes. and right. And he seems to have a knack for picking the right nickname for the right person, which is a, which is a skill set. Um, using profanity is a skill set that Roy has mastered using nicknames is a profanity that uh, is a profanity. Yeah. <laughs> using nicknames is a, is Ted, Ted's personal <laughs> profanity, is a, is a skill set that Ted has mastered. Um, what do you say, coach? I, I thought it was interesting. This was the moment where it hit me that we're going to watch 
Keely try for the first time to do what Ted does. It really hit me very clearly here. If Babs, if Babs equals Rebecca, Keely equals Ted. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch how this is similar and dissimilar in the way she ends up having to do it. But uh, that in this moment, I thought, oh, we're going to get to see like because I've always thought Keely was probably most like Ted. We're going to get to see Keely now take her first steps out. Maybe this will be her Wichita Shockers or not. Maybe it won't work this time, but I can see she's trying to figure it out. Yeah, no, it's a, that's a fantastic point. I always, I just go, why would you ever, why would you ever stack the deck against yourself if you could? I guess like this is it. She got her v, uh, VC money and this is the deal that she had. And so she's like, all right, now mm-hmm. I'm inside of this. I have to make it the same thing when Ted, I remember Ted, uh, when he first, I think it was biscuits with the boss. I think it was episode, uh, two of season one where, uh, Rebecca tries to put the kibosh on him walking in. She's like, Ted, you can't just walk in here where you want. He's like, no, see, I, here's how I see it. Like, w- you know, we're all a team here, you know, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Hey, I have to, I am forced to change the culture because it's not cult- culture isn't going to change itself. Um, I will put in a tiny plug here for, um, the antagonist and for Pajiba, which are two independent writer owned, writer run blogs. And both of whom have amazing people working at them, making zero money. <laughs> like, and, and that, that, unfortunately, that's the landscape of, of, of independent blogging these days. But you're talking about the message boards for these blogs are the happiest place on earth. And culturally, that's where, where you want to be. And so I know when I started the antagonist, antagonistblog.com, you go there and, and you're in these message board groups with like amazing people. And, um, when you're stacked, you know, when, when the, the deck is stacked against you, you have to decide, okay, am I going to either tackle this or am I not going to tackle it? And I, and I, I see what you're saying, coach, cause it is really nice. You know, when, when Keely, she has that up mo- cause she goes, she stops as she's headed out. She says, yeah, uh, all right, everyone have a great day. Yeah. And she stops and she goes, oi, don't do anything I wouldn't do. And they're like, <laughs> they're like ut- utterly confounded. <laughs> The dude in the suit, it literally says out loud, like, what, what wouldn't she do? Like, he can't figure <laughs> out. It's so, so fantastic. Yeah. I think, um, it, you know, one of your point to one of your earlier points about the message boards at both of the excellent websites. Um, and even though I think you guys are not going to expect me to say this. What I liked about both of these scenes, both what you said earlier about uh, Ted and Rebecca, Coach Bishop, and about Keely here is that the bubbly, effervescent, like outgoing, talkative, should be popular people are the ones that need to sort of break down the cold hearted bitches. And, and not that I'm a cold hearted bitch necessarily, but especially at work, like, People are like, hey, do you want to go do that? And I'm like, well, no, I kind of want to do my spreadsheet. Can I hang out on my spreadsheet? Is that all right? Like, we, there's not a, a lot of, like, outside culture outside of the organization. There is a lot in. I try to be involved. I try to break out of my own little, like, I would rather just look at financial reports all day. I do try. 
But I like that this is such a twist from, I don't know, the 90s and 2000s TV that I grew up on where the cool kids were the ones that couldn't get excited and wouldn't get into anything. And, oh, and in yeah, this yeah, case, yeah. Right. Right. it was cool yeah. to be, it was detached. cool. The cool kids were detached. They were in the back of the bus, not the yeah. front of the bus. Yes. Yeah. Like I, um, I am at the perfect age where a lot of my friends loved my so-called life. And they were like, oh, Jordan Catalano leans so good. And I'm like, he can't read. We cannot be interested in this man. Like he's so detached from everything that he can't like even be invested in his girlfriend. And so now I do like that. We've sort of moved past that. And now the cool kids are the ones that are like, guys, let's let's have a picnic in the conference room. I might not still show up because I am mean. But I do like that that's happening someplace at least. That's, that's fantastic. No, I was just going to say it's a great it's a great point, and I think it, it, it's sort of it's a it's an interesting. We've talked about the um, the antihero stuff and 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 how this brought us to you know, and now there have been all these articles about it. You know, the positivity of Ted Lasso and people needed a shot of that. But I think there's also something about enthusiasm. And I, I, one of the things I learned in, mm-hmm. I can't tell you which professor now, but in film school is like. Yeah. Enthusiasm is, is vulnerable. Right. Because people can look at you and go, oh, you're uncool. Like we're not enthusiastic about that. You're uncool. And so, yeah, yeah just putting yourself out there and going, yeah, I want to have fun. Yeah. This is my friend, Rebecca. And when I see her, I scream. When I see all my friends, I scream at a funeral. Mm-hmm. When I see my friends, I scream. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's who I am. And to just be that yeah. is pretty bold. Yes. I, I think that that idea of openly declaring this is something I care about is vulnerable to other people. Because then they because what if they right. mock the thing that you love? Now, again, I've. As I've mentioned on this podcast before, I am a Dave Matthews Band fan, so that has worn off on me. I'm I you can't you can't you, make you me you can't feel hurt me anymore. I'm like a Dave anymore. Matthews fan. Yeah, you, you can't. Like I'm invincible <laughs> now, bitches. I'm sorry. You could ridicule me for anything. I don't care. But it is like being that enthusiastic about something opens you up. So I um I was mentioning this podcast to a friend. <laughs> The other day, and I said, "Hey, do you watch Ted Lasso? I don't know if you, uh, yeah, if you know if you He's like, "Oh yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's like a it's like a C plus B minus kind of show." I was like, "Okay, yeah, all right, okay." <laughs> <laughs> like, really? A C- I've devoted my life to following is it this, and, really? and preaching its message. Is, is this a story about how you yeah, don't seriously. have a friend anymore? Like, so I buried him out back. Seems like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like I. Just, uh, I just feel like when this first came out, I remember the three of us discussing how um, the world was ready for kindness. Like, we were so yes. sick of jaded people and everybody's a dick and everybody uh, has an ulterior motive that is nefarious. And we were so refreshed. And I remember from, from the standpoint of, of looking at it from, from the lens of a man, I remember, th- I remember, uh, Juliana saying, Oh, you like this show because these men are trying to approximate something you're trying to approximate. And you don't see this avatar on TV a lot because th- in order to make it dramatic, invariably you have to have, you know, hidden, uh, uh purpose behind, you, you know, your, 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 your subplots and and you have to have you know people being greedy about um uh, you know the things that they want in the context of the show and to have people just trying to be decent human beings was was a real departure and so i really love this 
the point that you made about the cool kids being enthusiastic because that is a that's a pretty big it's a pretty big deal so once again an amazing um amazing point from boss uh go fight in whatever birds <laughs> it is the eagles i looked it I up love that. It's, it's the golden eagles which are better than the band the eagles because even though i will openly love things i will also openly hate things and the eagles is not a thing i love i love it so we roll the credits for ted lasso <laughs> Uh, Ted enters. Did you guys know what Ted was yelling when he entered? I'm curious because I knew it right away from the tenor, from the tone, from the, the volume. I was like, do you know what he's yelling right here? Oh, yeah. The the good morning, Vietnam. Good yeah. morning, Vietnam is probably more appropriate. Yeah. yeah. From yeah. Uh, good morning, Vietnam, what Robin Williams shouts when he gets on the radio. Yeah. The great Robin Williams. Um and um, he stopped in his tracks by – he sees Keeley, Higgins, and Rebecca, and they all yell to greet him. And he's like, oh, Keeley. He's all, all excited that Keeley's there. And he walks in, and he sees Trent. Um, Trent Krim sitting seated opposite um, Higgins on the left, Rebecca in the center, and Keeley on the right. Um, and um, Trent is once again wearing the very recognizable uh, leopard skin – sneakers leopard leopard patterned sneakers and there's a uh, you know we've we've god there's so much um when you watch a show like this and it has so many people who are uh, you know in love with it um you have all sorts of theories out there and fan theories and i don't i i tend to let boss be the one that dips her toe in the in the crazy because i can't sort of keep track of it all <laughs> You know, like, like, I don't, you know, again, this is, I didn't watch the, any of the trailers for season three because I, I like to be surprised. I like to come in fresh and, and not have people set expectations with trailers. And if they, if they set expect, expectations with trailers for me, it feels like, oh, you're cherry picking visual moments that may skew my eventual watch experience. And I just don't, I don't want to be part of it. Um, likewise, you can get a ton of, valuable invaluable information from podcasts with you know people like sudeikis and brendan hunt and you know and but i try to i i've tried to stay away from that and let boss sort of do that because um i just want to come at it as a viewer as fresh as i can just just at least i'll be uh you know that's the one one way that we'll look at it and then maybe we can come up with a good conversation um boss so you like offloading the emotional labor to the woman Uh-oh. on the podcast, I think is what you're trying to tell me. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, didn't, so, mm. so that sound about that right? Way, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It did. No, for sure. For sure. I sat right yeah, here and listened good. to it. That's good. It was, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just, just felt really wrong to unload it on the black man, but I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, listen, there's a, there's only so many options on the podcast. I understand. I get it. <laughs> God damn it. We need some more white men. Uh, always. Is that not always the answer? Yeah. What they, that's, that's, I think that's a rule, right? Yeah. No. Every what, time that I'm in any sort of room that has a question about anything, my solution is let's add more white men. Yeah. I think. Yeah. No, it's, it's a good idea. This is all funny, but you guys ruined the title of my autobiography. So <laughs> we need more white men by Orlando Bishop. So this theory is leopard skin. So le- leopard pattern is so noticeable. That that uh, do you guys remember who has worn lep? Do you remember seeing this at all? Do you remember 
like we first see it on Trent when he's waiting outside for Ted saying, Hey, I'm not, you know, there was a, there was a season two, episode 12, the Trent seat at the independent was empty in the press conference. And Ted's like, Whoa. And then we, we see uh, Trent waiting outside to talk to Ted and saying like, you know, I moved on and he's wearing these leopard skin, leopard pattern, um, sneakers at that time and the same ones he's wearing in in this episode we've also seen colin in a leopard print shirt and we've seen may in a leopard print shirt so colin wears a leopard print top in episode 26 the signal and then trent and may both wear it in 221 uh two, sorry 212 and um there's a theory that they're so intentional with the wardrobe choices um, that this is indicative to some people as a sign that these are the characters, uh, that are, are queer or, or the, these are the gay characters. So is what, you know, some of the theories. Now we know May went on a date with some dude. Yeah. Um, we know that, um, it was two seven where to episode two season, uh, sorry, season two, episode seven, where Trent popped over to, um, Ted and asked him, Hey, on, on his way out of the bar, he was like, Oh, just, you know, I love our chats. That moment where he, where he kind of nailed him for like, why mm-hmm, didn't you show mm-hmm. up? You know, you were really sick and got that on, on. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was eating with another man and, and we just thought, okay, didn't even register to me, but I thought, okay, like, is this, it doesn't, it doesn't ultimately matter other than it could be that the show is, is uh, signaling us to some way. There's also, I don't know if you remember the Renaissance painting of masculine melancholy. Do you remember that when all the guys were Oh, that was so funny. And Will drops the water bottle. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There were only three players wearing red cleats or boots. And it was Danny, Jamie, and Colin. And so Danny and Jamie each had the, you know, Jamie's been on a a whirlwind of an experience. Uh, Danny obviously went through the goodbye Earl nightmare. um, Football is death. Uh, experience. <laughs> God, I love him. God damn. What a, what a great character. And, um, and so people have, have suggested, oh, maybe there's some, some drama in store for Colin this season. So I'm just putting a, putting it on our map as we go forward. We're season two of season, uh, sorry. God, I keep getting seasons and episodes confused. I'm so sorry. We're at episode two of season three and maybe there's something in store for Colin if you put any credibility in, in the wardrobing, which I, I think they're very intentional about what, what they choose. I think that that makes sense. Um, you know, especially you said the, the red boots that Colin, Jamie and Danny have worn. Uh, I think we could all agree that Jamie has been on more of a journey than Danny necessarily, just because Danny came in so ready to, accept the lasso way and get behind the method and football was life. Like he did. I'm not saying it wasn't traumatic. I am saying that there was less distance for him to go between wanting football to be back to life for him and figuring out that football is life and death. Like that was a shorter amount of time. Uh, But wearing red shoes and the fact that Ted Lasso and Jason Sudeikis are from Kansas and the most famous red shoes in Kansas are the ones that Dorothy wears to get back there in the Wizard of Oz. She herself also going Whoa. on a, a very long journey to I, get back home. I was kind of hoping. I was going to try to save this for another episode. But now my that you – My brain just dripped out of my – No, no, no. Wait. <laughs> it, it, it gets so – This one This one is legit. Whoa. Like this – This. Whoa. It, you wouldn't even believe 
Do you remember? Do you remember? Like, do, do, so let's assume what everything takes place in Kansas. It looks like we're not in Kansas anymore, right? Yeah. We opened up right with that in at looking at London Bridge, right? And there, I mean, if you do any analysis, if you're a student of this show at all, Ted is Dorothy, Beard is Toto. Um, when you look at who Ted left behind in Kansas, Dorothy left behind Auntie M and Uncle Henry. And Ted left be- left be- behind M and Henry. Shut up. Right? Um, then you have Roy. I'm trying. I'm reaching back to remember who who, who was what, but I remember, remember Roy limping. So Roy is the Tin Man. Um, uh, Nate is Nate or Rebecca. People are are the Cowardly Lion. Jamie is the Scarecrow. I believe. I'm trying to remember all the. That makes this yeah. really work. Yeah, yeah. No, it really work. It's like it's it's kind of stunning when you uh, when you <laughs> when you crack it open. But um, there's Whoa. there's no hard and fast rules about, you know, certain people are, you know, they try to figure out, okay, Keely is, by the way, Glinda the Good Witch, like, obviously. Uh, obviously. That's, right? I mean, that doesn't. Obviously. No question. Um, the Wicked Witch is a, is a little hard. I mean, is it Rupert? Is it is it Jamie's father? Um, but anyway. Or, yeah. or, and, is, and is Ted Lasso, final thing I'll say is, you know, is Ted Dorothy or is Ted the wizard? Oh. Uh. Okay. So anyway, food for thought. Yeah, I think um, I always like when shows are able to do really strong illusions, but not necessarily analogies. So I I think we talking about this, yeah, a lot of this fits. Um, The fact that Beard is Toto. I mean, like Toto wasn't giving Dorothy any tips about, oh, this is the direction we want to go in. So like there's, it's not always going to be perfect. It will fit. It's not going to be perfect. Right. Right. Um, They say Toto's a furry best friend and um, he rushed to Dorothy in times of trouble. Uh, Sometimes he gets distracted by cats. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right? Okay. I'm just like, these are the, that is good. I got one one more that's going to blow Coach's mind. I I was saving this one. Oh oh no, there's two more. One was the yeah focus on um you know how Rebecca has the uh Louboutin um red bottomed shoes that she wears. So like that's the so there's oh. there's that. So then people say, oh okay, is she uh, the ruby red slippers? Um, but th- this is this is the one where I like chuckled when I first um I I was reading up on it and I, and then I thought about this and it hadn't ended up in like the fan theory world. But I was like, okay, what do if you, if you're going to let's say we're going to go with this theory, right? And coach, see if you can figure this out cuz this one will be the one you'll love personally. Biscuits with the boss. What do the biscuits represent? Think of the shape and the color of them. Ah, the yellow bricks. Yes. So, so oh. that if, if follow the yellow brick road, right, wow. right, all wow. right. See, so now I'm, I'm in. Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna have to think through this a lot more. Which player needs a heart? Which one needs a brain? Which one needs courage? I mean, I'm sort of leaning towards even though Nate is as of season three, sort of the villain. It maybe I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he just needs his courage back. I think Nate 
is the lion. Yeah, right? It, 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 I think so. It makes sense. Especially when we first meet the lion in the movie, he is oppositional. Like, he growls at them. He chases after them. Like, there is some mm-hmm. conflict. It, again, it's not perfect. It doesn't match right, up right, with one. Right. But, yes. Um, shit, that's really interesting. And this is... There was... a a lot of imagery in the season three promotional photos that seemed like it was leaning towards Star Wars. Like we've already talked a lot about Empire being season two and being dark. There is yep, Rupert yep. is wearing a lot of capes. So like, I yeah. think that there's definitely something there also. This is something that the three of us discussed offline, but it again, doesn't line up perfectly, but I think that this feeds in a lot to the idea that this show is for, Gen Xers or elder millennials because Star Wars and Wizard of Oz and a few of these other ones, like it's almost so deep inside that you're like, oh, red slippers, it's Dorothy. It just clicks. So yeah, no, that makes sense. I would offer, and we we have to get back to the the show Ted Lasso, but I would offer that (laughs) that this is why you need the great Bill Lawrence. You know, when I was doing the write-up for each episode uh, or, or, you know, the overall point of view of the thing i said you know the boss is sort of a brendan hunt guy uh into beard and brendan hunt and it's coach true. is sort of a sudeikis guy and he also loves rebecca and ted and, and he basically is like as close to a real life ted as you're going to get um and uh and and an absolutely fucking amazing amazing coach um in every possible way and then um I tend to lean into the. I will say that Joe Kelly is the is the secret sauce, but but the, as a joke, because Joe Kelly gets no <laughs> gets no cred. Joe Kelly wrote the Christmas episode, so I have to pull that back a t- you know a little bit. But I always think this is what <laughs> makes shows work: is somebody that knows how to. You get a, a room full of really smart people, right? And they're like, let's make it Star Wars, and let's make it. Oh, what if it's Dorothy? Great, and then you get a guy like Bill Lawrence who goes, "Yes, fine, but." The structure has to be there. You have to make sure that you're, you know, a veteran of scrubs and, and you, you think, okay, this is a guy who can take sort of, um, if you think of the audience that's watching Ted Lasso, right? Um, I always think it's like middle class or above sort of to progressive type audience and I was marvel at like oh and their favorite characters are somehow sometimes sometimes blue collar kind of rough around the edges people I'm like that's a trick like to pull that off is a trick and to have people identify with that to, to have people identify with Rebecca who is chauffeured is is a trick and so someone has to understand that show has to have a heart and always bring it back to, to the heart and I always I always credit Bill Lawrence for that and if it's someone else then um good Good job to whomever is doing that. Well, it's interesting. I've been thinking in a broader way, and I won't go too far into it because I think the episode will will bring some of this out. But uh, just the idea of balance on this show. And I think that, I mean, look, we all, we've done enough with story that we know that there, there are some basic story structures. And so stories well told, you're going to be able to point to, okay, that's this, you know, these, these line up. Um, but I think to be able to, in a way that totally works, allude, and I love that word for this boss, to allude to uh, 
Star Wars effectively and to allude to uh, the Wizard of Oz effectively without us feeling like, oh, yeah, that was the Wizard of Oz episode. Like, even now, knowing that they're doing that or feeling that they're doing that, I'm good with it. It's not like, oh, I get it, which some shows do, right? Like, you have that episode. That's not what this is. It's just really, really superior storytelling. Yes. I will 100% agree with that. Um, I also, just very quickly on your point about it being very subtle, uh, quick shout out to the first Pitch Perfect movie, which um, I want to say might have been directed by Jason Sudeikis' ex-wife. Of course, I'm unfortunately flaking on her name right now, um, and I need to look that up, and I will drop it in later in the episode. Sexist. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Jason Sudeikis' ex-wife? Really? Oh, my God. I have too many names in my brain, and I can't (laughs) pull it right now, and I will get it. And when you say it, I'll understand it. But in the first Pitch Perfect movie, I don't know how it happens that every time it's on, the boyfriend and I accidentally end up watching it. Like, it'll be on TNT on Sunday afternoon, and we're like, oh, well, the... Boss, I think you're talking about about Kay Cannon? Yes! Shit! Yes! Sorry. She's the writer. She's the writer. Okay. I knew she was associated with it because I love her career. She's also was on New Girl and has done a few other things. I think she's great. I just couldn't remember your name because I had too many other ones. I'm sorry, Kay Cannon. You're amazing. Um, But one of the things I pointed out to the boyfriend after we'd watched the pool acapella scene for, I don't know, the 16th time, um, there is a, a shot of all of the women. And I was like, oh, well, you could tell by their boots which character is which. Like, you just... You look at the shoes and that's who it is. Like the the main character is the tomboy. So she has the slouchy buckled boots. You can tell who uh, the sluttier one is because she's got the high boots all the way up to her thigh. And he was like, are you making this up? And I was like, listen, which one is the quiet girl? She's wearing the tiny shoes, obviously. It all makes sense. So related Sudeikis shout out. I, I, I love, I, I love watching shows where, it is clear to me that a lot of people were given room to do their job. And I feel like that is the case here. To Sudeikis is, I'm telling you, if I were in college right now, I might do a project on the story arc according to Ted Lasso's hair. Like, that is a whole yes. thing. Then you look at wardrobe. I remember quickly, I'll say this because we were playing with color and where there is color now with Keely and not when they go shopping in season two, uh, when they go shopping for clothes and uh, Nate tries on a suit, the suit that doesn't work for him, but that would be in a place like that. Those are Richmond colors. Mm hmm. That suit is Richmond, and then, right, and then we're, what? What really actually works for him? The black, the all black. Yeah, it wasn't just a black suit with some other shirt and an interesting tie. No, it was black on black on black. Like that was, you know. So they, I feel like there's so many things like that in this show that they take the time to like just give you just a little bit more. Um, yeah, I just I, I love that about and and definitely there's a lot of color story mm-hmm. throughout this. And I think it plays into this red shoe thing, which I did not see, but makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, it plays into all right. So this is that we, we got into this by talking about the leopard uh print on Ted's uh Trent's Krim's shoes. Uh, uh Ted walks in and says, Oh, Trent Krim, are you kidding me? Hey, nice to see you, man. 
No, they got a big old bag of your lost hair ties down, lost and found. You should hop on down there if you still want them. Now, <laughs> that makes me laugh. I want Maybe because I'm a guy who needs hair ties, but that. <laughs> Those things disappear. So the idea that somebody figured yeah. out, like, these are all Trent Crims made me just crack up. <laughs> yeah. Because they just disappear into the wind. You think lost socks are bad. I've tweeted before that if I ever get lost, like, if I ever disappear, you could track me down by the trail of missing hair ties that I just leave in my wake everywhere. <laughs> I actually, Love it. growing up, you could go into my house, like, the one that my mom still lives in. Around every single doorknob, you will find at least two hair ties. Because you just leave them there, and then you could find them again later. That's where they belong, around the doorknobs. I love that. that is a, that's a great – I can see that. That's a great visual. Um, I want to point out – so Ted is all happy to see, see Trent. And, you know, the three of us might be the worst possible sample group to understand this concept because – I don't think – I think – I know in the case of um, – well, I don't want to speak for Coach, but I know we're trying to hold less grudges and trying to move on. And I, I think I think Boss tends to love her grudges and, and embraces them like a, like a dear friend. But Trent – I don't I was, have children because I have grudges. <laughs> Why? Right. Um, feels the same need. I get it. Um, so Trent is the one – I just want to refresh everyone's memory in the opener – uh, when he first met um, Ted, um, he uh, – I think it was actually the second press conference, not the very first one. But he asked Ted in front of everyone to explain what offsides is, like that type of question to highlight uh, Ted's ignorance. Um, Trent Cram is the one who waited after the first 4-1 loss to Crystal Palace to get the quote from Jamie where Jamie was saying, yeah, they're in there with the new gaffer, you know, eating cake and playing music. It's crazy. Like, and Trent's the one that published that. Um, Trent is the one who came to just double check. Not, not to say that this doesn't make him good at his job. He's the one at that season two, episode seven, who popped over to Ted in the bar to just double check that it was food poisoning. And he's the one ultimately who wrote the story about Ted's panic attack. So, but even after the – like when he sees Ted, it was season two, episode 12, um, and he sees Ted in the parking lot after he's like sort of left his job because he's revealed his source. And Ted – there's no – Ted has no animosity toward the guy. And I just go, God, that is remarkable. I don't even understand. <laughs> I don't, there are so many reasons to hate Ted uh, – Trent Krim. I think it's interesting, and I'm not going to place the actual conversation right now, so I apologize. But I feel like at some point, someone said something about Trent Krim around the anxiety article, and that Ted said he's just doing the job. And I think, and I, I wish I could remember what that exchange was right this second, but I, I think there's something about Ted. You know what? It's that he's deep. Ted is deeply, if nothing else, deeply empathetic. And I think he is able. He is in in that case, I think, in a healthy way, able to say it is actually Trent Krim's job. Like that is actually his mm-hmm. job to if someone brings him that it would be irresponsible. Right. In his position, not to write that article. I, I would I would highlight that as a matter of he he basically sacrificed 
what is apparently a good enough job that when someone else gets it, they get congratulated in the name of, I can't just write this and not let this guy know that the call came from inside the house. So I, there's a, there's also a bit of that probably at play. Yeah. I was going to say exactly the same thing. I think it, one of the first things is going back to season one, episode three, Trent Crim, the independent, when they sit down at the Indian restaurant, what Ted says is, you know, like, do you like doing your job? Do you like writing? I think you're a good writer. So I think that he recognizes that Trent is good at his job and trying to do it well. I think the fact that Trent came to Ted after the fact and said, Nate is the one that ratted you out, means that Ted understands that Trent knows what his job is, but also does understand, you know, having respect for your subjects, even when you need to write about them, and would also understand that the rest of it is his job. Like, I'm going to talk about accounting again, but when people are audited, like, if it's your tax audits, I can't help you with that. If you're a business that's getting audited, the auditor's job is to ask you questions to gain enough confidence that they believe you are doing your job well. So you can't take it personally if they say, like, can you give me this receipt? Because I am supposed to have the receipt. Like, if Trent's job is to inform people of how the team is doing, he can't not tell people things just because it seems uncomfortable. And I think that it's not even a grudge. It's that Ted understood that the entire time. So so do you like Trent Krim, though? Oh, yeah. Does anybody not? I do not like. I'm going to play the boss role, Ooh. and I'm going to say, yeah, I, I wildly do not like Trent, Trent Cramp because, all right, now first of all, he when he meets with with in Trent Cramp the Independent season one episode three, I believe, he says like I view everything as a battle, I view everything as a confrontation. He he is we are against one another. That is how he perceives of the journalism process. And I was like, whoa, whoa, that is incongruent with accepting the lasso way as a, as a primary motivating factor. Like that, that is not going to work with the likes of Ted. And so, but also I always thought he was kind of a, okay, the next, let's just, I'll, I'll, I'll put it in context. Um, Ted walks into this room. He sees Trent sitting there. Uh, Ted hands the biscuits to the boss. She thanks him. And then she says, uh, Rebecca says, Mr. Krim has requested to follow the club this year. He wants to write a book about us. And Ted goes, Oh yeah. And, and then, uh, Trent goes, I think there's a story worth here, worth telling here, Ted. Like that. St- and I'm like, I, you're so <laughs> creepy, dude. You're such a weird it's creep, so breathy creep. <laughs> No, I'm alone in this. I, yeah, that's not my re. I think it's fascinating. Like, I want to hear more. I'm not disagreeing with what you're. I'm just going. Oh yeah, no, that's not what uh, Trent is for me. At, like at all. Like I, I guess for me, Trent right now. Well, it's interesting because in this scene, it, it 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 hit me. Like, I think Trent was going along doing his surface job and probably was primed for some sort of a change. Like he's obviously been doing this a long time, blah, blah, blah. And I think in a way, Ted was also the pebble in his pond. When Ted says, you know, before he takes off from that dinner, hey, I really enjoyed, you know, hanging out with you. 
I don't get the like. Even Trent goes, you really mean that, don't you? Like, you're not trying to butter me up to get a good article. Your your feeling is I'll write what I write, but you liked me. Wow. Right. Like, right. And I think that I think true. that does draw something out of Trent, like where he's like, this guy is different. And I'm finding it interesting. That was my read. Right. Absolutely. And and if you go to if Trent announces, I see it as a confrontation. And Ted doesn't even care. He's like, whatever. Like, it's not because I have nothing to hide. I'm just going to be myself. And, hey, I hope you have a great time, man. He's just that dude. You have nothing to hide when you're that dude. Um, Yeah. But, okay, uh, boss, it looks like you want to say something. Well, what I actually wanted to say is that I find it so amusing that you wanted me on your podcast because, like, I don't view everything as a confrontation, but I view everything as a competition, including to the point where, like, if I am driving – and I see a car next to me. I'm like, well, I have to pass them. It's ju- it's just how I do things. And so I love so mm-hmm. much that you that you dislike that idea because it's one of my favorite. Uh, the idea that he views everything as a confrontation doesn't make me think of him as being mean or bad, but just that his rules of engagement are set up that he is going to confront you on something. I don't think that for me that is morally neutral. It is either effective or ineffective regardless of how you feel about him individually, because he's trying to do his job. I actually, um, last night I was thinking about The Wire, because I think about it a lot. Also, unfortunately, Lance Riddick just passed away, and that was a big bummer. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. that was Ouch. such a, that was a good punch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that really hurt a lot. Um, but I was actually thinking about uh, Rawls when, after Kima gets shot, and McNulty is making it about him. And Rawls says to him, like, you're a gaping asshole, McNulty, and this is not on you. And you can can know for sure that it's not on you because the motherfucker who's telling you that it's not on you hates your guts. Like, he wasn't being kind. Mm-hmm. He wasn't being sensitive mm-hmm. or comforting. What he was saying was, mm-hmm. I can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you did not fuck this up because I hate you and I'm telling you it wasn't you. So like that's I love that shit. I love when what I tell people sometimes is um I'm not lying to you because I don't care about you enough to lie to you. Not always. That's only some people. But, I love it. But what I do say to people that I genuinely love is I'm not lying to you and you know because I'm not nice enough to lie to you. Like it's not kind, but it is effective. I guess what bothers me about Trent uh, no and this is great um, and I'm not smart enough to follow your whole analogy, so I'm assuming I'm McNulty, and you just call me an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I—it's not about you, McNulty. <laughs> um, no, uh, what I was saying about Trent is I, he makes me feel moderately unsafe to be around. And usually, I root for the more intelligent characters because I, Coach, will tell you, I always think everything in life is a, a battle between people who are actively trying to improve themselves and people who are. In uh, uh, trying intentionally not to, <laughs> trying to go all the way back, and um, so you know, Trent is smart and and he's accomplished. Um, but there's this thing it happens right in this room, um, and I'll point it out and I'll tell you why. It just I go, man, it, it just it worries me because Trent has an agenda, and I don't know in this in the scope of 
the people that I care about or the characters I care about on Ted Lasso, whether or not his agenda will ultimately line up with theirs. I hope so, because when Ted was was just himself, Trent wrote a beautiful article. He was saying, I think they ultimately will be relegated, and I think that they will drop down a division or whatever, And and but I won't be happy about it because I really like Ted and I'm really going to root for him. So that ended up being okay, and, and Ted uh, Trent was was fine with that. But there's this moment. Okay, so we we, we say, um, I think there's a story here uh, worth telling. Ted, Rebecca says we all love the idea, but as a manager, we thought you should have the final decision. And then, boss, what happens in this scene? Ted spends a lot of time going back and forth over. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you know what? Let's do it. Sounds like a great idea. But what Which, is everyone else doing while oh, he's thinking? Oh, of course, nobody. So this is, I was going to say that this is the opposite of when Rebecca said we should get Dr. Fieldstone to come in. We should get a therapist. Mm. And he was like, eh, no. I, Rebecca does not want Trent Krim there. Higgins doesn't want Trent, Trent Krim there. Nobody does. This is not Ted saying like, okay, yes, I'm going to do what you want me to do. This is Ted saying, no, yeah, let's, let's have him in. I think it'd be fun. We can get a lot of good stories. I mean, Rebecca, Rebecca's well, actively take- neck chopping. And, she, and yes, you know, yes, they're shaking their heads as hard as they can. And Ted really milks it. Well, dee, 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 dee. I mean, well, geez, you know, like, a, you know, he really takes his time <laughs> as they're well, pantomiming every possible gesture for no. Well, it, it's funny because he's not, as we've gone over and over, he's not a clueless character, right? And so in a funny, I, I asked myself about this seat and I think it was, well, you asked me, like, you shouldn't ask me. Like, if you didn't want this to happen, you should have figured out how to not make it happen. But if you make it my decision, I'm going to say yes. And you probably should have known I was going to say yes. So I, I thought that was an interesting, yeah. Because, I mean, he clearly, I mean, how could he have missed them? So he definitely decided, like, no, I'm, I'm actually yeah. going to make the decision. It, yeah, that was 100%. He knew what they were saying. He knew that Rebecca did not want this to happen. He was choosing to do it anyway. Um, I think that that sort of reflects back to the idea of episode one of the season where Rebecca was saying, like, go out and fight. He was like, no, I'm still going to do things my way. Which, for me, is a really interesting thing about Ted. He is very kind. He is very nice. He is very compassionate. He takes care of people. He wants everybody to be happy. He also at times does whatever the fuck he wants without regard to what the other people are telling him. I think it came up probably in his marriage with Michelle. I think it probably came up in the co-parenting with him being in London. Like he's a good person, but that doesn't mean that he's flawless. So sometimes he's going to choose to do what he wants to do, even if the other people don't want him to. I just want to call out the joke construction here because we talk about all the different types of comedy you have. And this was you know, such beautiful, beautifully edited, including, as Ted was thinking, individual shots of each person saying no, you know, just a wonder of each character going, no, no. And then Ted goes, yes. And you just go, oh, just be, kiss your fingers. Good. Chef's kiss. Um, and sure. What the heck? Why not? Uh, when can you start? No time like the present, except 11-11. That's my wishing time. Or 23-11 if I'm on a military base or Euro Disney. Um, and then they're just so – it's funny. They just get each other so much. Rebecca's like, okay, all right, well, decision made. Wonderful. Trent, welcome. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's it. Like, you know, Higgins' phone buzzes, um, and then Higgins says, what, coach? Holy shit, Zava is leaving Juventus. 
Right. Zava is leaving Juventus. And what does Ted say? Classic, classic Ted. What about their kids? Which I was like, why? <laughs> if they all react, you know, I'm just like, what? I'm sorry. I didn't know what any of those things meant. And I thought it was Greek mythology or something. I was just lost. So I went with that. Sorry. But it's funny to me. Like, and you know, I have my little secret theory about not so secret, I guess, that 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 uh, Ted has ADHD. But beyond that, th- like this, like it's so impulsive. And and he connects dots that you're like, what? Like, like that sentence could mean a number of things. And what? So I just I, I thought it was like such a, a very Ted moment for him to yell that. Like it's even beyond the you know, owner of the sun. You talk to God. Like it's even further down the road than that because you got to make a lot of assumptions to get to that reaction to that being said. I sort of uh, wondered if it was a slight nod to real life, uh, Jason Sudeikis and Olivia Wilde breaking up right as season one of Ted Lasso was hitting it very Mm. big. I can't say for sure that, you know, that was two seasons ago or however many years ago, but it mm. felt like sometimes if you hear somebody is leaving somebody, my, I, I, now that I'm getting older, if my nieces told me that somebody was leaving somebody, I'd be like, oh, so, so they, they are a couple. It sounds like I'm not sure about all, <laughs> right, all of right, the words right. you're telling me. Um, there right. have been a couple of times where they, those, wonderful little darlings who I'm not going to say a bad word about because they're literal girls and I don't want to do that. But they will say like, do you know how to do this dance? And I say, no. And then I try to do whatever they're doing. And they're like, that's not a real dance. We made that up. And I'm like, well, bitches. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know where that was landing, but. Oh, oh, it. that was landing on. I did too good of a job of teasing them when they were little. And now that's they know funny. what to do back. That's great. It's this is my fault. My comeuppance. Um, I just want to uh, mention because this is the only place in the whole world where I can ever mention this with any sort without wedging it in. But Zava leaving Juventus, uh, I once got to juggle with Juventus. I don't mean juggle, juggle the soccer ball. So I was on a school trip. And the guys from Juventus, like these guys in Richmond, they were just – these are professional soccer players. They're in the lobby of this hotel that we were staying at. It was called the Parco di Principi Hotel. And I was like a little kid. And my mom was one of the – was one of the um, chaperones or whatever. Um, and I was a soccer player at the time. And my mom has this personality where she, she's like a firecracker. She's, she's a Greek woman from the old country. And as soon as you tell her, I think I've mentioned how she walked up to Malcolm Forbes, one thing. Or, I don't know. I've told you all these things, but she just, as soon as you say like something's out of bounds, then she will go right there and break every boundary possible. So somebody said, Oh, those are famous soccer players. And, um, of course she goes right in the middle of them and chats them up and she has a personality where people really like it. And so it ended up where she's like, Oh, my son plays soccer. Like, I think in her mind, she's like, oh, if I get him here to juggle the ball around with these guys, then he'll then become a professional footballer like next Wednesday. It just, she doesn't know concept, whatever. And so I had to go in and it was all this pressure of like having to, like, you know, juggling the soccer ball is right. Everyone, you guys know what that is? Like you kick it with your feet. Oh, you keep it in the, keep, keep the ball in the air. I'm sorry. I should explain this. You, you, it's not you, like juggling. You, you hacky sack it. Yeah. Yeah. 
but there's mm-hmm. like tri- you know you can use your shoulders your knee a lot of a lot of it is thighs mm-hmm. most of it mm-hmm. is the top of your foot but um you know you can use the, the back your heel to you know there's all these little tricks and these guys are like obviously unbelievable but um yeah i got to i got to juggle events which is pretty it was just pretty exciting and i didn't humiliate my mom while i did it <laughs> which was the bet which was the bonus she i was like i got out of that interaction where she was like okay yeah like passably good um so ted yells what about their kids um i'm sorry i don't know what any of this means uh man i just thought it was greek mythology or something and trent says i was a world-class striker who's about to leave his club in italy and then what does ted say this is this is torture who wants to say it? Boss, go ahead. You do it. Do I, I have to? I got to say this uh, one, too. Uh, oh, catch you later, Pepe. And do you know what that that's a reference? That's a reference to the dish, catch yeah. Pepe. Yeah. Which Anthony Bourdain once called, um, which said could be the greatest thing in the history of the world. It's a cheese and pepper pasta dish. Oh, yeah. Butter and on Ted, noodles? Come on. And Ted adds later to it. catch later. Pepe, okay. catch you later, Pepe. Finish the sentence. Catch you later, Pepe. Let's get it all in there. So Higgins says apparently he wants to play in the Premier League because his wife binged the office and she wants to live in England. And Ted says, What, boss? Oh, I think you mean Pennsylvania. Yeah, Scranton, Pennsylvania, buddy. And Rebecca looks down her nose and says, The British office, Ted. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Y'all did a pre-make over here. A pre-make. Which was, that's funny. I love that. So that was the most American Ted has been in quite some time. Like yes. to be so America-centered. I mean, unbelievable. Yes. And one of the first times where in a long time, I should say, where Rebecca has been like, oh no. It, 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 it's Britain. We're not we're not gonna focus on America, buddy. You aren't in Kansas. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, manifest destiny. I mean, that's it. We're the chosen oh. people, right? Um, oh, God. One of my friends and I have a have a joke about anytime you're arguing with anybody about the excellence of America, you can just pretend like you're eating because whenever you're eating it, it, it always like makes it less serious. You just pretend like you're eating and you just like point up and you go, flag on the moon, bud. And then you just get... <laughs> No, nobody can compete with flag on the moon. Um, all right, so <laughs> it's so because it's so dismissive to be eating while you say it. Like you know. It's, anyway, um, okay, so uh, you all did a pre make over here. If we got Zava, that would be amazing, says Higgins. And uh, Keely jumps in. She's like, he'd be huge for the club's brand. He's got like ninety million followers. Followers. One time, he posted the word just posted the word seven million likes, and it got ten, 10 million, million likes. Yeah. That made me laugh. That was great. Now, here's a nice pivot coming up here. He says, Rebecca says, yes, but he's very expensive. And is he supposed to be a bit of a diva? Yes. Uh, you know, Keely says he he's a huge diva, enormous. He goes through teams like you go through manicurists. And what does Rebecca say, coach? The fumes make me dizzy and I overshare. Please don't print that. I, I yeah, that just all worked for me. That Keely would know it, that it's a real thing, that Rebecca has it all figured out, and that she then is worried that it's going to end up in a book and embarrass her. All in like three seconds. Okay, I but was like, yes. th- this is the moment, yes. though. This is the thing I was talking about. What does Trent say when she says that? He doesn't say anything. He just nods his head like he heard it. 
So this is the this is right. the part of Trent where I'm like, oh, and this and journalists can be like this. Like, so yeah, yeah. where he goes, like, I'm not agreeing to not print that. Like, that's not, you know, like he he's just like, please don't print that. And he tilts his head with a smile. And I'm like, that's not a okay, I won't print. I'm like, oh my God. Like, so now I have to be worried. He just I just go, if it suits Tend uh Trent to to print that, he will print that. If it, if he feels like it'll cast light or shine a light on something he's trying to build character wise in this book, you're going to hear about the manicures. And and I was like, I was like, he's going to go find the manicures. He's going to go interview these manicures because he's Trent Krim. And I was like, Oh my God. I just felt like you talk about anxiety. I'm like, Jesus Christ, you just can't trust, you know, with this guy in the room, but you guys, I think have a different take on it. Yeah, I feel like we're going to have to do an entire episode of this podcast where we just talk about whichever journalist it was who hurt you. Because when I saw that, (laughs) I thought that that was like he is supposed to become fly on the wall. He doesn't want to make his subjects act differently by being there. So I didn't see that as him being like, oh, I can't promise anything. I just thought he was like, well, yeah, no, I'm not going to say anything about your manicurist, but also don't worry about what I'm going to print. Oh, you, I, thought, I mean, he, you thought his look there showed agreement and uh, like a contract of sorts? Um, I, I am trying to remember. I, uh, un, again, unfortunately, because I have not watched this one on slow-mo the way that I've done some of the other episodes in order to get the micro facial expressions. Uh, I don't remember noticing him being menacing in that part. Like I, I didn't read oh, it. Oh no, no, all. he wasn't. He wasn't. He was he was and, and smiling. I, he was he was not menacing. He was smiling. It was just a head tilt and a smile. But but I didn't read it as like, yeah, okay, fine, I won't print that. It, I was like eh, this is my job and I'm gonna go find those manicure manicurists now. And see, I was like, oh God. I don't know if that part is what he thinks of as being his job. I don't think that his job is to get dirt on these people or make them look bad. I think that his job is to figure out what the truth of the story is and then tell people that. And that's based almost entirely on that first piece that he did on Ted, that he could have said, this idiot ordered the hottest Indian food from the Indian chef's son-in-law and said, make it like family, even though he'd never had Indian food before. Like he could have made the article talking about all of the things that Ted did wrong. What he saw in the story was Ted is trying really hard. He's not getting exactly right. But when he fails, I'm not going to be cheering. Like, I feel like Trent has already proven to us that he's not going to low road this. Oh God, no! I'm not, I'm not saying what, it is, but it's it's Trent's perspective that's that Trent gets the final say as the controller of the narrative, as the writer. Then he gets the final say. So all I'm saying is, as a as I I, I might be the biggest control freak on the show. I don't know. I might have some competition <laughs> here, but but I'm saying I'd like to be in control, and I go. I feel like I'm abdicating that by letting you hear something that's very very telling as. Rebecca overshares to manicurists. I go, that's a, that's a thing only Keely and Rebecca knew before that moment. And now a professional writer knows about it. I'm like, Oh, I, whatever. Again, it's not, I we think shouldn't what spend Coach any more time. I trying to say is that Trent Crimp reminds him of one of those, uh, little vacuum things, the robot vacuums that goes around. What's it called again, boss? The Roomba? You remember Roomba? that? 
There you go. He says that in Trent from the Independent. Yes. Oh, shit. God damn it. All right. I got to go back and do a rewatch again. <laughs> All right. So, but I, I, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying. And I suspect that is going to be a thread throughout the season, coach. Seriously. I didn't necessarily find that quite as. Um, concerning as you did but i thought the seed was planted that hey once he's there and observing he's gonna be there and observing and it'll yeah be, yeah that's, that's it's a it's it a right that is a structural change and i go okay is he now the greek chorus is he i'm trying to figure out what because he is going to he might be the smartest person in the room now i'm actually probably is and so when that happens you go all right is he the you know what? What what role does he serve in the scope of the of the show now? Um, uh, is he the moral center? Is he the and and I, well, we're actually going to get to another example. So let's keep going. Um, I'm I'm fumes making Disney now. Share, please don't print that. Um, Zava has uh, this is this is now Higgins. Zava's played for 14 teams in 15 years, leaving behind nothing but chaos and trophies. Beautiful shiny trophies. <laughs> I bet Coach loved that. I'm guessing. I did love that, and I think it's going to be the core. It's the question every team asks, right? So I'm going to take a slight – this this player was mentioned on the show, so I'm going to pretend that this is, is, it makes sense to go here. But it made me think of the uh, recently departed from my Brooklyn Nets, uh, Kyrie Irving, who is organizational poison. I will go to my grave saying that. The only time he's won is with LeBron James. I mean, if you think about it, that's set the table's pretty well set for you at that point. Anytime when he's had to like be in charge and lead, it, he just leaves complete ruin. And I understood why Brooklyn put that team together with him and Harden and Durant, but I went, oh boy. I, I, I said at the time, they better win year one because there's no telling how long they're gonna hold this clown car together. And I just get the, but I get when you're running a, an organization and you're like, this guy is transcendent. He's got so much talent. Are we sure we can't figure this out? Um, so that that felt as deep in the stuff you talk about that you're not seeing on the show as anything we've seen in a while. That's a real question organizations have to ask. You know, we spoke, we, we alluded to this in season the end of season one, I think it is where we say we're talking about Beck's, believe it or not. And we're saying, what does it say about the per it doesn't matter, man or woman, it happened to be a woman in this case, Rupert's new wife Beck's. What does it say when you are when you witness the actions of a serial transgressor and you think I'm the one that'll change that person? And you know, in the same way, that's what they're thinking about Kyrie Irving. They're going, you know, maybe we can be the, you know, we're pretty good. Like, right. Like look around, right, like, right. I think we could be different. And you, you're talking about the type of mentality, uh, where that doesn't, um, is not pliable enough to, to you know, work inside of a structure. It, it's, is what, um, there are, there are such things as locker room cancers. And it's a terrible term, actually. Now that I think of it, I've never mm. really, now I'm wondering if we should actually say that, but, um, there are people yes. who sort of ru- ruin the locker room. Um, <laughs> Jay Cutler, and um, oh. so but but there, you know it's like you have to figure. Yeah, if we if we need to, coaches are paid to win, and so if you think, oh, this guy can get me enough wins this season to keep my job, keep keep my kids in private school, um, 
you know, sometimes people make that make that connection. I'll only say yes, Jay Cutler. I again, fuck Jay Cutler. Uh, but sometimes that guy, <laughs> that guy that is ruining one clubhouse, you put him in a different clubhouse, and all of a sudden AJ Prasinski is everybody's favorite player, even though when he was on the Twins. Mm. I, it, have I talked? No, to no. You there's a dif- there's a difference though. That, that type of player, that's, there's a that's huge different. difference. Yes. That, like the Boston Bruins, uh, who are in the middle of, and sometimes when people re- listen to this podcast, they're in the. I'm a Bruins fan, lifelong Bruins fan. Grew up in Boston. They're in the middle of the best season of NHL hockey. Like I think that's ever happened. I don't know. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And they have mm. a player on their team, um, Brad Marchand. He is the most obnoxious person in the universe. <laughs> like you, you want to kill him, but if he's on, he's that guy. When he's on your team, oh my, he's absolutely beloved. And then now it's to the point where other teams also hate him, but everyone begrudging. He's also an amazing hockey player, which helps. Yeah. He's not just a gadfly. And people are like, oh, my God, this guy's such a legend at this point because he's done it for so long and survived somehow. And he's still yeah. got great hands and great vision. And, you know, but so there, I think that's very different than being uh, because you're such a, a value. It's a, it's literally Jamie Tart. What they say, oh, you're actually you're a dick. Go out there and be a dick. That's the type yeah. of character that really helps your team. Although it, Persinski had uh, a long reputation. Uh, I mean, the uh, where was it? San Francisco, I think he was at. Uh, and then the Twins. It, no, no, no. There was one team in between there. I, sorry. It's been literally 20 years. I can't track his record that much anymore. But have I told you guys um, the story about when he was at the Twins and he accidentally took a, a ball to the crotch? This is probably no, but I want to hear it. It's probably apocryphal, and so I I can't imagine it actually happened. But the story is during a practice, he was or, or before a game warm up, whatever. He was just you know taking practice balls. One bounced up out of the dirt, hit him underneath the cup, and got him right in the sack, like really right there. And somebody came over and said, "How you doing? How you feeling? How does it feel?" And he says, "How does it feel?" And he stood up and kicked the guy in the crotch and said, that's how it feels. <laughs> and I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know if it's true, but I want it to be true so bad. Oh, my God. I fucking love that guy. That's how it feels. Um, so he probably not that good. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, no. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, uh, two things I want to say. Um the dick role. Um, when I went back and did a rewatch, I was look watching Jamie. Um, mm-hmm. this, you like mm-hmm. where he beat Sam in the first. You know, he's like, "Oh, this is the spot where Sam died," and he ruffles his hair, and Roy comes and shoves him away, whatever. And you're like, "Oh, oh my god!" Like now that I know this, I'm like, "Oh, he's just this is what he thinks a man is because of his dad." That's all. That's all this is. Like he's mm-hmm. never had another uh, avenue. So um, it's just replacing father figures for Jamie that eventually gets sets him in the right direction. Um, then I'm going to do something that we never do. And I want you both to look at your phones to what I just texted you, because remember I said when this started, it was just our little thing. Did you, I, um, did you see that? Amazing. Coach? Uh, amazing. President Biden just, twi- just texted out the believe sign at the oval office door. Oh, um, I, <laughs> I mean, where were you I, when this I, happened? Amazing. I thought maybe you meant the um, 20% off at uh, Skinovatia Medical Spa that I just got a spam for. <laughs> but apparently that's not it. You're not you're not telling me to go get a facial or Botox. One second. 
Yes, that's much more amazing and appropriate for this podcast. <laughs> right? Yeah. President Biden tweeting out the belief sign over the Oval Office. I mean, holy shit. Wow. Wow. I mean, and <laughs> it's truly what? like a cultural – like I saw a coach, the NCAA tournaments going on. I saw a coach slap the board. There was the belief sign on their board after a game, after a big win. It's it's really interesting. I, I can't tell you how it's so good for the world. You know, coach, we talked about this. I I, I had played all these sports. You played all these sports. Uh, boss managed a bunch of wrestlers, and and none of us ever had a. You said you had somebody similar one time, right, coach? But I never had any anyone even remotely. I I I think I mentioned my football coach used to lay us out when I was maybe seven or eight years old, second third grader in full you know full pads, and and my coach who had these old turf shoes would lay us down on the ground and then he would run the turf shoes over our face mask. So the dirt, oh. the mud would go into our faces oh. while we were laying down to toughen us up. Oh. Yeah. I'm like, I, I've never had a Ted Lasso. So it's so amazing for the world that we're getting to get away from the Bobby Knight version of coaching. And we're introducing yeah. like, Hey man, like we got to build the John Wooden um, mm-hmm. pyramid and, you know, and put, put love at the top. I mean, it's just, what a what a phenomenal cultural accomplishment for this show. I I uh, can't let this pass. I don't not one of my coaches, and not exactly like Ted Lasso. But did, have I told you that the best advice I've ever gotten in my life was from wrestling coach George Deitch? And he said one time, just randomly asking me how I was doing before a meet when I was a stack girl. He liked me a lot. I was his student, and I was his the other coaches student assistant. So he knew me and he liked me. And out of the blue, sort of, he said, don't ever let the first thing that somebody says about you be you're nice. And I thought, yes. Okay. Got it. That's it. That's it. I'm done. That's my entire life philosophy Mm. now. Nobody's ever going to start with she's nice. So I I did appreciate that from him. Don't don't Mm -hmm. be generic. I like it. Yeah, man. Don't, don't be nice. Be kind. Don't be nice. That's funny. That reminds me of the saying you hear between West Coasters and East Coasters. Oh, yeah. You ever hear that? Oh, yeah. The thing? You know, what it, you know what it is, Coach? What is it? It's uh, East Coasters are kind but not nice, and West Coasters are nice but not kind. And having moved from the East Coast to the West Coast of my life, whew, that is a bucket full of truth. <laughs> that is a bucket full of truth. I've had people – Curse me to my face in New York and we remain friends. And I have people who have smiled in my face and acted like we were best friends in LA who I couldn't get on the phone right now if both of us could get a million dollars out of it. It's unbelievable. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're in with Rebecca. She says, um, Leslie, who wants to deal with all that drama? Apparently everyone who can afford him, Higgins says. Chelsea, Art, Arsenal, United. So so the tenor of Rebecca is like, no, 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 we're not doing this. So Higgins starts listing Chelsea, Arsenal, United, West United is Manchester United, um, West Ham. And then Rebecca's next line is, I say, let's just go for it. I mean, maybe he's a handful, but who doesn't love a handful? She, she just cracks up and gets giddy. And what does Ted say, coach, since you love his uh, Flanderisms? I mean, if you're talking salted peanuts, yes, please. If you're talking Skittles, though, no, thank you. No, the dime melts and gets all over your fingers, makes them all sticky, and that you can, and that you can print, and that you can print. Man, that is that is apex 
Ted Lasso Flanders behavior. I mean, why in the yeah. world would, would Trent Krim care to print anything you just said? It's just very funny. Anyway, but like the fact that he would stand, he has a take on Skittles and how many you want in your hand at one time. And he is happy to share it with you if you want to listen. Yeah, he's a man who's, who's done some thinking. It's great. Um, so, so this decision's made. Wonderful. Let's set up, set up a meeting. Higgins says, and Rebecca is like manic at this point, and she, and she goes, "Great, L- let's go get Zava, Zava Dabba <laughs> I'm like, what in the hell? Where did that happen? How? Uh, Stop I, hanging yeah, out with Ted. Was a, that was a uh, lot of I'm Ted like, coming <gasps> flying. It reminded me of. Uh, Remember that when she was trying to like work up the nerve to tell Ted what she had done? Oh. It felt like that to me where I was like, what is happening? So now everyone starts heading out of the office. Uh, Keely, uh, Ted and Higgins are right by the door and Trent turns and looks at them leaving and then turns back to Rebecca. And what does he say, coach? So am I to assume you're going to pursue a notoriously mercurial player you can't really afford simply because the team your ex owns wants him? And now the roles switch. All the other three behind Trent's back go, no, 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 no. And Rebecca thinks about it for a sec, and then she says yes. And I loved their reactions. Keely just accepted it. She's whatever. Higgins looks totally defeated. And Ted, Ted is like, Hmm, okay, that's good. We went with that answer. All right. Like he kind of like was like, all right, oh, okay, that's the, that's the new, that's the new normal. Um, and then because this is what Trent said. What does Trent say? Actually, boss, you say the line that Trent says. Love that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what reaction does that have on Rebecca? She sits back and she smiles. Yeah, she beams. And this is again where I am going to reiterate that uh, Rupert took Nate, gave up his football team, turned his back on Richmond, bought a new team, stole Nate. Nate was talking shit at the press conference. Part of this is that you're thinking like, if you were Keeley, you would say to Rebecca, fuck Rupert, who cares about what your ex-husband is doing? It doesn't matter. As a team owner and as a, a representative of the team, she is telling everybody, yes, I am in this fight also. Like Ted was doing, it was diffusing the fight in a way where he was not going to acknowledge that Nate was trying to fight with him. Rupert is fighting with Rebecca. Mm -hmm. She is fighting back. I don't Mm -hmm. think that this is as like bad or sad or pathetic on her part as it could be. I think that what she's really doing is saying like, yeah, we're fucking in this. We're in the premier league. We're going to be in the premier league. And you're not concerned at all about how she kept turning West Ham into him instead of them. And you're not concerned at all that it was so funny how he says, Oh, um, anyone, anyone, uh, who owns him and she, and, and he just lists off, uh, Chelsea, no, no reaction. Arsenal, no reaction, right? Uh, Manchester United, no reaction. West Ham and the second <laughs> West Ham comes out. I say, let's just go for it. I, like, just a complete pivot that, and I go, oh God, I just hope she's not being led by whatever reaction this is. So it was such a shock, such a well, shock. Yeah. Thing. I mean, she clearly is being, I mean, this is, this is what it is. I guess in context, I was okay with it. I'm okay with the idea that 
you know, I don't know a ton about hockey, but I would guess that if the Bruins were going after whoever who might be available before the trade deadline, that the Blackhawks might say, oh, we, we weren't in it until now, but we don't want him to go there. I, I could I could but make. I could see that happening. It made sense to me. You're 100% right, Coach. And I just want to tell you, the trade deadline came and went in hockey, and the Bruins got oh, almost they're amazing. Really? <laughs> like, the, you just go, they already have the best record by far. They haven't even lost double-digit games. It's like they played, like, I don't know, 60 games and lost eight. You just never see it. And then the guys they brought in are just, mm. like, the most solid guys. And you just go, I can't. Anyway, it doesn't matter, but I don't know. I just have no context for the season I'm watching. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So I love the, the, I love that this is genuinely <laughs> like you're not even like this isn't even tangentially related to Ted Lasso. I just can't contain myself right now. I can't. It's so exciting as a Bruins fan. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um so so um the thing that when I when Ted says uh sorry, when Trent says love that, I go, okay, what are we doing now? I, like now we're having is that's why I keep asking, well, who is Trent this this season? And I'm okay with it being that he's sort of the, the like it's a, it's, a, it's a form of judgment and whatever. And I don't think Trent is inherently about. You know what I think? I was while we were sitting here talking, I, I figured you know, and like you know, someone named let's say Bruce. I'll pick a name out of a hat, and then he's a jerk. And then someone else is like, oh, I want you to meet my boyfriend Bruce. You just can't. You have Trent reminds me of a guy I used to work with who I never trusted and was a little slimy, and there was that. Um, period of the 90s where it was like a lot of like hiking booty fleecy sort of plaid wearing sensitive ponytail men and you're like oh you seem even now it would be like oh you seem like an ally but you're real like you know what i mean like i i worry about you so it's that that kind of kind of dude that's that's what that's what has my hackles up about uh trent anyway ted and keely go down go ahead yeah sorry, sorry i'm just gonna interrupt very quickly i think part of what he said love that for wasn't i i think that trent cram has significantly less of a moral lens than where is the best story yes if the best story is richmond brought in an american football coach got relegated promoted the next year and now they're going after the biggest star in soccer in football because this owner has a beef with this other owner that is a phenomenal story like that is a good book so i don't i don't think that it's actually in his best interest to make anybody look bad or to make it seem petty or to paint rebecca as some kind of villain i think that he's looking for a story and this makes a really great sports story I think it's a great point, but also I, I will say I don't think he's. I don't imagine he actually is. Try, I, again, I, I said it. He's not looking for the low road. What what he's looking for is whatever he decides is the right story. And so that's the thing I get nervous about is that he is in control yeah. of the narrative. And so you know, coach mentioned, oh, he's supposed to be a fly on the, or maybe it was boss. I forget who said it. One of you said he's going to be a fly. He's following the thing. He's going to be a fly on the wall, right? Boss said it. So fly on the wall doesn't say love that and then have the main character react because then, you know what I'm saying? That's my concern. Yeah. Where I go, yeah. okay, if you're a fly on the wall, you just notice and you step back and then you compile elsewhere. You don't comment and give a value judgment and then have the person react. And, and that, again, it just feels very fraught to me. But, um, anyway, let's jump forward. Uh, Killian and Ted are downstairs. They go downstairs after the, um, after Rebecca is beaming over Ted's, uh, Trent's reaction. Um, 
Ted follows Keely down the stairs. And when they hit the bottom, they sort of hit their mark right in front of that long hallway where all those rooms are. Um, it's framed right behind them perfectly. Uh, cinematographers love depth. Uh, there are people walking in, in out of focus behind them. And Ted says, well, come on, talk to me. What's it like being the boss of your own Keel E Street band, huh? How did y'all feel about that one? I had the most neutral response. It was so odd. And I just thought, and I actually did actively ask myself, like, I wonder if that one's going to make them mad. Like, it was more, I was like, truly curious. I don't know if I remembered it explicitly. I think partially, not to get too nostalgic for the early days of pandemic, but this felt very similar to the scene where Keely was talking about how I'm cute Mm -hmm. as a button and I can rhyme my ass off. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm a threat. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't want- Keely's got bars. Oh, Keely's got bars. Uh, yeah, it tarts, tart. Oh, damn it, I wish I could remember the whole thing right now. But uh, I don't want to make a comparison, but Keely Street Band isn't quite there. It's it's not it's not killing me. It's just it's just there. I think I've just resigned myself that I'm going to feel a little bit of pain um, where Ted is concerned, and I still love him. But mm-hmm. man, some of the reference. I mean, I love Bruce Springsteen. The E Street Band is you know. Oh, is that who was referencing? Yeah. 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 There you go. Well, you go, yeah, yeah. Have you heard of them? Are you familiar with them, uh, boss? They're American, yeah. uh, an American band. Flag on the moon, boss. Flag, flag on the moon. Oh, 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 I'm, oh, oh. Refer- that, we're, the, we're making the, a the, terrible, terrible reference. The, I think that's um uh the Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, that's um my grandmother's favorite <laughs> band, I'm pretty sure. Right? Is that it? Yes. <laughs> Yes. That's great. So great. Wow. Um, so Keely says, uh, I think it's going really good. Yeah, good. Yeah. I thought uh, though I do wish my coworkers would loosen up just a little bit, Keely says. And I noticed the fact that she said coworkers and not employees. Ah, interesting. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. I kind of like that. I, I at my nonprofit touchy feely organization. Uh, we are all team members, regardless. We have direct reports and direct supervisors, but there is no like. It, it, so I, it, I don't mind the egalitarianism of that. Yeah, no, it's fine. I just thought it gave us a little insight into like, okay, she doesn't see them as, you know, she she hired them or they're somehow direct report. I don't mm-hmm. know, whatever. I just thought, okay, um, it, she didn't say, I do wish my employees would, would loosen up a little. It was my coworkers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted goes, want my advice? And she says, yes. And she actually does. Uh, y'all should go out and do something together, you know, outside of work. And what, is, uh, what does Keely say, uh, boss? Oh, that's a great idea. Maybe I could hire a shaman and we could do a bunch of ayahuasca <laughs> under a blood moon. <laughs> Listen, man. If Keely were my coworker slash boss and she wanted me to do ayahuasca under a blood moon with her, I would say yes. And I am not into team that activities. That is quite a team activity. Yeah. I- mm-hmm. Oh, I am very fond of drugs, though. I'm not sure if I made that clear. <laughs> I really like drugs. Uh, Ted says what, uh, Coach? I was thinking something like an escape room, but hey, Clamato, Clamato, right? Which I thought was, um, wow. Like, it just made me yeah. go like, all right, Ted. Ted's, Ted is, Ted is tending up in this episode. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah. It's not it's not Ted's fault in this instance, but whenever anybody says Clamato, I think of the episode of The Simpsons where Homer is, I think they're in New York, and Homer desperately needs something to drink. And the vendor says, no water, we have Pepsi or crab juice. And Homer goes, ugh, crab juice. And that's how I feel about Clamato. I would rather drink anything other than it. Crab juice, ugh. It's intense. People don't like Pepsi. Um, uh, Keely uh, is all smiles. Uh, and she says, yeah. Ted reaches out, does this little thing on her arm, like a little tickle scratchy thing on the sleeve of her jacket. He says, good to see you. All right. Walks away. And then Isaac appears out of nowhere behind Keely and like yells her name. He's like, Keely! And she jumps. Oh, yeah, Isaac. Hi, you all right? And he says, yeah. And he goes, you help me get a shoe deal. And she says, oh, I'd love to. Any brands in particular? And Isaac is like deadpan, straight face, no emotion, no brands, just shoes in general, you know? She says, <laughs> Great, I'll, I'll look into yeah. it for you. And then he huge smile. Uh, Colo Bikini, this actor. I mean, I just in the first episode, I didn't talk enough about his reactions in the sewer. It's just fate. He was all confused. Yes. And he's just a beaut. Um, he flashes a huge I, smile, snaps, and points his Keely at Keely as he walks away. Um, I also yeah. love that now Richmond players want endorsement deals with shoes and joy. Yes. Yeah. I th- I, yeah. I I that made me think of the mucho mucho joy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mucho yeah. mucho joy. Danny likes to give it away for free though. Doesn't even need a. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So uh, approaching once um, uh, Isaac uh, turns out he goes off screen right and Colin Bumbercatch and Jamie are approaching. She says hi guys like super super upbeat Keely. They say hi to her Keely. And Colin Bumbercatch uh, dip off uh, past, and they go into the room that Isaac came out of. And Jamie kind of stops to chatter up and walk us through the scene, boss. Uh, uh, they're so cute and awkward. He says, hi, Keely. She says, hi, Jamie. Doing good? Yeah, I'm all right, you. Yeah, yeah, not bad. And Jamie says, yeah, Jim, Jim. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then... Keely notices Roy. Jamie sees her notice and turns and immediately says, yeah, that's good. I'll see you later. Bye. Indicating that there is still a good deal of awkwardness between the two of them and largely larger, the three of them regarding the fact that Jamie told Keely he loved her last season. Right. Right. I mean, that's the last thing that that's happened. And um, so there's, there's still a little bit of a, of a, unfinished business it feels like there but you you get the sense between the two of them that they just really like each other so much um he he dips and then um you know uh we 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 see that keely uh approaches roy and roy is not walking toward her roy stops and she walks towards roy and he's just standing there waiting for her with this sort of a grim expression on his face um, and we see that Jamie has joined Isaac and they're filling their water bottles and they greet each other. And Isaac takes a look. He studies Keely and Roy for like a second. And coach, what does he say to Jamie? Whoa, Keely and Roy have broken up. And I double checked that to make sure he didn't say are breaking up or what. He's like, no, they've broken up. It is in past tense. Yeah. 
And Jamie stands up from filling his water bottle. He quickly glances back at Killian Roy, and he's like, what? Who told you that? And he says, uh, what does he say, Coach? What does um, Isaac say? It's not who, bruv. It's what. Kinesis. Study of body language. Look at him. No eye contact. Keely's crossed arms. Roy's clenched arse. I thought that was great. (laughs) And it was really, I mean, we just watched him ask to get uh, uh, an endorsement for shoes, generally. And so, like, you're kind of like, oh, ha, ha, ha. And then this is so um, spot on. And you have to be incredibly present. I don't know. Like, it felt like a, a version of where he is along the Ted Lasso trail as well, that he would have that level of sensitivity to, like, what's going on with the human beings around him. I mean, Isaac's got bars, right? Yeah. He's I mean, got levels. Yeah, he, he, he's, 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 a, yeah. he's a superstar uh barber right like hair, hair <laughs> right, whatever right, right. he's got that whole element to him and he's he's come so far he forgot how to how to have fun playing uh, mm-hmm, football and mm-hmm, yeah right? mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. remarkable Actually, it's character. interesting that you said that you thought it was related to ted i sort of assumed that that was isaac's soccer background that he was so good at reading people on the field that he was phenomenal at what he did because he could see him coming that makes sense Although I don't know enough about soccer slash football to make that judgment. It's only, I'll say that the way that they've characterized Isaac is definitely not that he is dumb, but that he is extremely blunt and that he is extremely suggestible, which to me Mm. says that he is always looking and always taking it in. He's not going to overthink it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's passionate. I okay. I'm mm-hmm. gonna call out the joke construction here, which I absolutely loved, and I laughed out loud at this moment because he says, "Look at him, no eye contact." He, he says, "Look at him," and Jamie looks, no eye contact. Keely's crossed arms. He goes, "Roy's clenched us," right? And then Jamie is just studying him, looking, and then he leans in. <laughs> <laughs> to see Roy's clenched ass, and I fucking roared laughing, like because you know exactly what he's doing. And then, and then Isaac goes, "It's science." That's it. And he pats Jamie and walks off. Um, Jamie looks back at Roy and Keeley and uh, sees Roy pat Keeley's on the arm and, he, and walk away, leaving Keeley standing there alone. Okay, this is fast. This is fascinating. Fascinating moment. My God, I love this so much. Jamie glances around surreptitiously. He's like looking around. He sees Roy walk away. See, Ke- sees Keeley alone. What would old Jamie do here, boss? Go hit on Keeley. Right? In a second, right? Especially yeah. if he knows they're broken up. So that's what he's going to do, right? Because so he he we see Roy head down the hallway and take a right into into a door, and we see Healy head down the hallway and go out the double doors. And Jamie hustles after; he's definitely trailing, and we're expecting to see him, you know, bounce right through the double doors and follow Keely. And what does he do, Coach? He follows Roy. He follows Roy. Yeah, yeah. That was that 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 really was a. Uh... That was a moment. Well set up. I mean, I'm blown away. Right? I want to remind everyone that even like last, I guess it was two episodes ago, technically, was the last episode of last season when they they tied, I think it was Brent, Brenton or who did they tie? Brentwood. I forget the name of the team they tied to make, to get promoted again, make it into second place and get promoted. And they're celebrating on the field. They're so excited. Mm. And Roy is still so locked up mm. with resentment for Jamie's mm. excellent apology mm. that was definitely heartfelt. Yeah. You know, the room that they're in right now was where the apology happened. 
And Jamie was so earnest that Roy couldn't be mad at him and he just yelled, fuck, and walked out. <laughs> and then when they got promoted on the field in the middle of the celebration, Jamie came at Roy to hug him. And what did Roy do? Do you guys remember? I do. He headbutts him. He headbutts him first. Yeah. And he goes, what'd you do that for? And he goes, so I can do this. And then they celebrate. Yeah. Yeah, It's amazing. I mean, the relationship between these guys, I didn't know how much I, how much I needed Mm -hmm. whatever's been going on since, since the beginning when, when Ted is out of, out of ideas and says, we're just going to get drunk. (laughs) Remember at the Mm -hmm. the auction? A parent trap. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, how far have these guys come? I suspect they're going to go farther. So we're in this room. Oh, and you mean you mean like like second base further? Or like, what are we talking about here? No, I just feel like there's the. We're on, I don't think we're at the end of the arc. I don't think this is the very end of the trajectory. Is what I'm saying. That's fine. Also, it's obviously going to be uh, Jamie and Coach Beard, so it's fine. You always say that, right? Yes, I know. Mm-hmm. You, I know you love that. Um, mm-hmm. So in the uh, in the room, Jamie and Roy are in there. Um, he opens the door and Roy's facing away. We get like a, uh, we get the standard, um, melodrama, um, over the shoulder shot. It's not a French over. It's the shot where Roy's in the foreground and turns to see Jamie over his shoulder entering the room. It's like a, it's like a daytime soap shot. You know, he's facing away from the door (laughs) and he turns and, um, you know, he says, um, actually, you know what? We're going to do a little play acting here. So, um, yeah, we're going to do it because, so, cause, cause it's just, let's just get through the lines and we'll, t- we'll talk about it. Um, who wants to be Roy? I, come on. I feel like you're Roy. Right. I know that you always assign these lines, but you're Roy. Okay. Right. So you're Roy. And then coach is going to be Jamie. <laughs> and, and what, just walk us, walk us through the words of what happens here. What do you want? You and Keely break up. Who told you that? No one. I use body science. <laughs> Why is it true? <laughs> I use body science. Sorry. Why is it true? Now, Roy looks away, and this is interesting, because this is, I'm guessing the first time Roy's had to say this out loud, admit it out loud. He doesn't even really do it. What he does is he kind of resets his feet, and he answers with this grunt, this sort of affirmative grunt, right? And it just felt like that's the first time he's had to do this. And, Mm -hmm. and then, uh, what is, what, uh, sort of sound and face does Jamie make coach? Like it's, it's very, he feels bad for him. He definitely feels bad for him. Yep. And keep going, boss. What's that fucking face? It's called empathy. You dusty old fart. As someone who's been dumped by Keely, I get it. She didn't dump me. Right? Uh, Jamie looks like stunned. Don't. Yeah. Huh? Why? Like, I love, <laughs> I love that everyone, I suspect it would be this and worse if Daphne and I ever broke up. <laughs> like, I suspect he would be like, you fucking idiot. You, yeah. You came up with the golden ticket. You deserved nothing close to her. And yep. how did you fuck this? And it's just so funny to me that this becomes a thing. Like people, like the just the built-in assumption that she broke up with him is so funny to me. Yeah. But anyway, what does Roy say? 
I don't want to talk about it. Why'd you come in here? And now Roy oh. steps. Yeah, he steps toward Jamie. He's like, oh, right. He just he, now he goes on the offensive. Let me guess. You want to know if it's okay to ask her out, right? No, I was just I was just seeing if you were okay, man. And I like that we believe him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, I don't and, doubt that. And Roy is kind of just you know, sort of surprised by this. And then Jamie goes in for a hug and Roy just jacks it. Bam! And then Jamie shoves him back. <laughs> shoves him back. <laughs> and yeah. Roy goes, the fuck you doing? And <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> hug you. Doing? I was gonna I'm hug you. Well, he came at me too fast. Um, and so, yeah, what does Jamie say to that? Um, Jesus, sorry. Forgot how skittish elderly people could be because of the war. I like that one. That was a good joke and, and kind of sharp for Jamie. Like I thought like, Oh, look at you. So I think that this is when I texted when we were watching the screeners, this is when I texted you guys that the first belly laugh of season three is when this happened. And it's, I don't think that Jamie is joking. I think Jamie might believe a little bit. That's funny. Like he has to know that Roy isn't that old, but he might think, I don't maybe you were raised by elderly skittish people but yeah I I roared. That was so good. Okay, keep going. Uh you look at each other. On, man. I was trying to comfort yeah. you. Just, well, I don't want comfort and I don't want you to talk I don't want to talk about it. So don't you fucking say a word, you hear me? And Roy's like up in his face when he says this. Roy's like getting his anger up. Fine, I won't. What is what does Jamie say? Yeah, right. Fine, I won't. And they just, Roy glares. And then one of my favorite, I, I just laughed so hard at this. Then what What oh. happens, coach? <laughs> and <laughs> this one, he says, don't you say a fucking word about it either, William. Which, one of the great, yeah, I mean, this, spins. this show, yeah. Yeah. this show full of callbacks. This was still fantastic because immediately I was like, oh, my God, he's there again. Of course. And he should be there. It's, it's, that's his office, essentially. And, but And it was just a great callback to the last time we were in there with them. I, it's, I like that both Jamie and Roy are figuring out how to be these different kinds of guys. So at each moment, they're like, uh-oh, I'm doing it, but he's not doing it. I better be, I got to be careful now. Um, yes. Yeah. The constant recalibration mm-hmm. of what's the other person doing. Mm-hmm. I just love that he called him William, and he's pointing and threatening. He like it's almost like he transferred <laughs> Roy's yes. anger into his arm and shot it out toward Will. It's just you get the reveal of Will. No, no, I won't. I'm actually just. Went through a bit of a breakup myself, so I can somewhat relate. Hey, maybe we go out sometime. You know, three of us, you know, maybe get a couple of drinks, a couple of pints, a couple of shots, fish bowls, <laughs> single guys club. And they just stare at him. Roy gives him a look like, are you fucking kidding me? He goes, or, or I can just not say a fucking word. No, no, I hear you. I, I hear you loud and clear. And he does this little poof thing with his hand. And I was just like, oh, so fish good. bowls made me laugh. We've had a bit of a conversation yes. around, you know, Who's drinking what? And vanilla vodka. You're such a child. And fish bowls is, for me at least, I don't, but it's so much of like the college, maybe just yes. past college moment of drinking that it's funny to me that that's like for Will, that is the height of like we are friends is that we'll go out yep. and we'll end up drinking fish bowls. I, it just cracked me up. 
I just thought that was a great and, and he sing and he sings it. Yeah, yeah. Sings yeah. It. yeah, yeah, no. Fish bowls. <laughs> I I'd like to mention that at my uh, public state school, and by the way, U of I at Champaign-Urbana, I love you. You were such a great time. I had to leave because I didn't do very well, but you were great. <laughs> Except for the fact that our fish bowls were just a bunch of garbage dumped into a regular plastic pitcher. It was not a fish bowl. It was not fancy. It was a regular plastic pitcher that they would dump whatever garbage liquor they were giving to us some blue food coloring, probably. And then they would throw a plastic shark, like a squeaky dog toy almost. New, a new one. They would throw that in there and call them shark bowls because that was their branding. That's how R&Rs did it because we were super classy. That was also the bar <laughs> that had $1 Kahlua shots in plastic test tubes and you would take, they didn't cart. Obviously, they weren't carting. You just hand the woman a dollar and she would give you a shot of poison. And you would take it and then you would throw that plastic onto the ground and smash it because we were assholes and we probably deserved shark bowls. <laughs> oh, God. I, I don't, don't know how to. I don't understand you at all as a human. <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm sitting here just shocked. And I'm so excited that we can see each other now. For, for those. For those wondering, we recorded on a different platform for the first two seasons, and then we switched to a video platform um, just so we could see each other's face. And I'm just staring at Boss. Just, I don't know how you made it this far. I don't know how you. Nobody I does. I That's the it. thing. Nobody knows how I'm here. It's wild. Or I can just not say a fucking word. And uh, so, again, just as we're tracking this, this is a callback to the scene. Um, Last last season, where Jamie and Roy uh, had the, had the yeah, you know, Jamie apologized to Roy in this very room. There was also another scene, if you remember, where Sam stormed off the field and Ted chased him, and then they did the same type of reveal where Higgins was there listening the whole time. So right, right, right. it's a it's a it's a structure that they love and employ really well. Um, now we cut to uh, Ted and Beard's office. Beard is entering the office and he's dictating into his phone. And what does he say, boss? No, you are a sleepwalker. I don't know what else to tell you, period. <laughs> okay, that's that's Jane Payne? I don't know. I assumed, but yeah, I, it, it, it's yeah, I assumed. And then you hear the you hear the send button, you know, so you know it's like, oh, he's dictating because he says period, and then whoop, you hear the little Apple Apple uh branding. Um I I don't know. I, I don't know that we have any that it that it might just be a dangly participle. I don't know if that if that's connected to anything. Uh, I, is, did, yeah, go. I, I thought Jane possibly QAnon mom. If one of True. her ideas is True. people are breaking into my house and moving my shit around, and he's saying no, you sleepwalk. That's it. Right, full on QAnon. That, right, that, that that place. I don't. I I I know that uh, finding out about somebody's mom is a roadmap to everything that's wrong with them. I will say. My own dear mom, who I like very, very much, would often shout to the entire household, who stole my shoes? And I'm like, why do you say stole? Obviously, we're not taking them. We can't resell them. There's no value to them. It's like they got moved because you gave birth to five children. I don't know what to tell you. Nobody stole your shoes, Kat. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I'm always just a new new adventure every time. Um <laughs> Uh, so Ted says, "Hey," and um, and 
Beard sort of pauses. Why is this? When he walks in, Coach, what does he see? What is Ted doing? Ted is reading from a soccer book, uh, Inverting the Pyramid, which we've seen before. I also think is significant in terms of uh, the storyline we have with Nate the Great, who inverts the pyramid in a a uh, non-soccer strategy way. But that's definitely a book that's critical to this entire conversation. And, And Beard goes, what are you doing? Like, he's just like, you know, this is the book Beard was reading both in season one and two, it's a you know soccer strategy book. Now it's all marked up with post-it notes and tabs. Uh, Beard was reading it last season, right when Nate was devising the false nine. Um, he says to Ted, what are you doing? Oh, just taking a peek at one of these soccer strategy books. You know, has got your nose in. And Beard ten- you know, tentatively is like, what do you think? Well, given the struggles I've already had with the table of contents, I think it might be best served to wait until the son of a gun comes out as a movie. Is it? Okay. Because I thought about this on this job. I was like, wow, really? Is it that Ted does this as shtick? He's re- he looked at it. He saw some things. Okay, great. But it's a chance to poke fun at himself, make a joke about it, and move on? Or... Because that's what I I lean toward. Or is it really truly that Ted is so not engaged in that way and so engaged on the interpersonal stuff that it really is, to use the phrase, Greek to him? Because I think it's I I I think of it as the first one, but there are enough moments now in season three that I'm like, well, maybe I'm assuming too much. No, I sort of read it as the first one, a way of uh, not self-deprecation necessarily, but he's showing that he's putting in a little bit of effort. He might also not want Beard to, number one, feel threatened about Beard's position. Like this is Mm. a Beard, you're still safe. You're Mm. still the guy. But two, showing some interest, but I'm not in a position where I could reasonably talk to you about this yet. That makes sense. That makes sense. I, I, I think it makes no sense. None. I'm kidding. I think, I don't know. I think yeah. it makes, I no, no, no. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I don't think Beard's worried about his position with Ted, but I do think, um, what you think he is boss. You think like he's no, no, actually, no, no, no. he Just, might be threatened that Ted is replacing him or something. Not, not threatened necessarily, but you still reassure the people you have very close relationships with because you have very close relationships with them. Like you because don't stop telling. So, right. No, I'm yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. You, sorry. you don't stop telling your spouse that you love them just because they know that you love them. You do it because you love them. Right. I would say, I yeah. thought rather than him being threatened, I thought he'd be like the other way because they're so close. He'd be like, Oh my God, you're like taking an interest in my, my world. That's, this is exciting. Yeah. That's how I read it. But I thought it was the opposite where, where it was, um, he was like, Oh my God, like, what do you think? Like, can we, could we possibly <laughs> open up a, a whole series of conversations that have been inaccessible to us to this point? You know, uh, whatever. It, it's always amazing what people gravitate toward. And maybe Ted's just co- comfortable being the ideas guy. And, um, and the nitty gritty is something that eludes him. And if, if, um, you know, if coach is right about uh, Ted's un- undiagnosed diagnosis, maybe it's just a bridge too far. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, Ted says, all right, let me ask you a couple of questions. Puts the book down. One, what would you think if we signed Zava? 
Oh! You're <laughs> right. Beard. Beard. <laughs> so great. Beard just screams. Uh, and he goes, oh, that's good, right? And Beard smiles and he goes, Zava? Yeah. Like, okay. Second question. Uh, who is Zava? So that this is good joke. I don't mind this version. Mm-hmm. I, we've seen this several times mm-hmm. where Ted asks a question with a little, you know, detail, and then he goes back and you realize he doesn't even know what do you say the mm-hmm. subject of the question, and you go, okay, this is this is great. I I, I don't mind this at all. Um, he's a living legend. You know who Zava is. Uh, I beg to differ, Claudia Schiffer. Okay, all right. I didn't um, mind that one just because I thought if that is a reference, Ted would make like. That's oh, of yeah. the right Iconic moment. model yeah. from the that Gen, we... Gen X model. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, Beard cues uh, up a YouTube video called Veggie Dog Vigilante, Vigilante, where a man uh, holds up a supermarket. Another man casually strolls up and headbutts the robber and walks away. And Ted is watching this at Beard's desk. And why do you got me watching the Veggie Dog Vigilante Vigilante here? Why do you say Vigilante? Veggie Dog. Because you're fancy. Yeah. You're so <laughs> a little fancy. <laughs> yeah, so. A little class. And, that's right. A little bit. Vigilante. Um, mm-hmm. Beard uh, pauses the video and he points to the headbutting dude and he goes, that's Zava. That's why. That's Zava? Well, shoot, I didn't know this fellow played football. Hey, I said football without even thinking about it. Uh, without even thinking about it. Boy, that book really worked. That made me laugh. Ted, uh, Ted mm-hmm. makes out a noise. Uh, uh, Ted's phone makes a noise and he pulls it out. Ooh, 11-11, make a wish. Ted closes his eyes and he makes a wish. And he's kind of like psyched to do it. He's got a big smile on his face, right? And he does a little fist pump to, like, seal it at the end while his eyes are closed. Beard, I'll jump again. Hey, if we if we meet ourselves in our dreams, just let's pretend we don't know each other. Beard goes along. Beard is on board. He also closes his eyes right at his desk, but he does, like, a hand focus trance thing in front of his mm-hmm. face, and he's serious about it. And Ted, of course, uh, says to Beard, what, boss? What'd you wish for? Coach? I can't tell you that. Oh, come on, Coach. I just don't want our wishes to cancel each other out. That's not how it works. Now, (laughs) (laughs) I adored this exchange. Adored it. (laughs) For a couple of reasons. But I like that Beard is like, look. I'll follow you in the dreams, but we got to have some fucking rules, man. We can't just like, <laughs> yes, like, you know what I mean? And it's like, if we're going to do the wishing thing, there are, there's a wishing protocol and let's, let's follow it. I, for me, that really worked. And also the feeling that this is somehow not the first time these two grown men have argued about how the 1111 wish protocol works. Mm-hmm. Coach, coach, what percentage of the time when they're done with the 1111 wishing does Ted ask Beard what he wished for? How many? That percentage? would be 100%. <laughs> Every time, Every right? Every time. You know it. You know it. 100%. Hey, what'd you wish for? <laughs> I can't tell you that. Yes, Every time. Yep. Um, okay, so then they, they hear a ruckus outside. Shut the fuck up from the locker room. Ted says, uh-oh, now what? And he and, he and Beard hustle out of the coach's room. Um, Sam is pointing at Isaac going, take it back. Take it back. Um, and Isaac's got his hands, his arms out wide. I can't be- take back something. Something just already happened. Right. And Ted says, hey, f- hey, fellas, what's wrong? Um, uh, and Sam says, coach, we just heard the most upsetting rumor. And <laughs> this is, this, again, different type of comedy here, how this is written, but incredibly well done. Uh, 
okay, is this about us getting Zava? And the team freaks out. We're getting Zava, Bumper Catch says. Oh, okay. I just wished for that 30 seconds ago, Danny says, right? <laughs> and Jan Moss like freaks out and Pretty. cheers and everyone's excited. Like, oh, that wish was valid. I'm like, the Dutch guy is on board. But it's just amazing. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Hold on a second here. He's got to interrupt the proceedings because it's starting to get out of control. Ted says, if y'all weren't talking about Zava, what were you so upset about? Is this because Trent Cribb's writing a book about us? And Zero says, what? And cut to Colin seated. And Colin says, wait, Trent Krim's writing a book about Zava joining our team? <laughs> and he says, no, no, no. He, he's just coming here to write a book about the team. And Bumbercatch says, Zava's writing a book about us? And Ted goes, no, Trent Krim. And then what does Zoro yell? Why would Zava write a book about Trent Krim? <laughs> All right. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I, I, like, I, oh, yeah. I, I feel like there was a lot of fun had writing that scene. And I... I I bought it, right? Like it's not like I'm unaware that I'm watching a comedy or that I'm unaware that like that's good writing, but I I bought every line a character said. There wasn't the moment where I was like, "Oh, you had the joke and so you set it up and you delivered it." Like I bought that they had this exchange. It was also a pretty uh brilliant way to get out a fair amount not even exposition because it wasn't for us to learn, but like a lot of characters needed to know a lot of shit. And they found a yes. really funny way to get us all to know everything we needed to know very quickly. Yes. It also uh, felt a lot like the spiritual successor of Who's On First, which I uh, like that they kept it in the sports family. So when you when you ended up with, why would Zava write a book about Trent Krim? It was like, oh, no, everybody everybody's fucked this entirely. The yeah, yeah, way. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's, it's got and that and they, don't, they don't stop here. They don't stop here. They turn it up to 11. So um, he says, um, okay, hold on a second. If y'all didn't know about Zava, which may or may not happen, and y'all didn't know about Trent Krim, which is happening, then what were you so worked up about? And no one, everyone kind of looks, a lot of looks around the room, and Jan Moss finally says, Roy and Keeley broke up. Oh! <laughs> right? Beard screams again, and Ted just starts to go down, just faints. And Beard and Jamie, by the way, catch him. I love uh, it sorry, so sorry. much. Uh, I'm okay. Got a little lightheaded there. Thank you. Now, as if we've done our job with this. Wait, can I pause writing. you? Can I just pause yes. you? That this to me is also in line with when they said what happened to Beyonce and Jay Z break up. That there'd be this level of investment yes. amongst these guys yes. in interpersonal relation, like romantic relationships. We saw some of it with with uh sam as well with his mystery woman right but i love that there's this like oh my god they broke up i can't take it and quickly i'll tell you that uh this is years ago now as, as the story will um reveal and i'm in my office and daphne screams i mean but bloody murder <gasps> and i'm like holy shit and i come running out and i'm like what and she goes brangelina broke up <laughs> and I, I like I stood she's at the top of the table, and I just like, stood and stared at her and I just mm-hmm. walked away like I didn't even like yeah you know what I mean like I was so far gone that I was like did that really just happen in my yeah. life like I thought she might be on fire under attack like mm-hmm. I come sprinting out of the room and she is genuinely and honestly and from the heart 
She had just heard this news and had to share it that Brangelina broke up. I just, anyway, moving on. But it was very close it's to the Ted fainting uh, emotion. Yes. Yeah. They, they've done such a good job with the show that it's all kinds of connective tissue. Um, because Ryan Kelly bro- broke up, beard screams, head faints. I'm okay. And then. Going back to last season, how many times did Roy walk into a room where everyone had just been talking, just been about, talking about right? It. And now Roy walks in, and he goes, fuck's going on? Great call. And, and they all look at him collectively, and they all do the face that, aww. And what does Roy do? He goes, Tar! and he just starts ch- just charging. <laughs> <laughs> the relationship between these two, I just can't. Uh. And Jamie goes, hey, hey, I didn't say anything. And I will fucking kill you. And all the <laughs> all the boys are restraining Roy. Um, and Jamie goes, no, no, I just came in and they was talking about us getting Zava. And Roy stops. Like, he, he's, yeah, he's like, wait, wait, wait. He shakes everybody off, straightens up, and everybody lets him go. And he goes, what? He's like, what? We're getting Zava. And Ted uh, walks with Roy, and now we do it again. Yes, we do it this again. Right? Yep. Roy, you want to talk about it? No, I'm not talking about me and Keely. No, no, I meant I meant Zava. Do you want to talk about? <laughs> do you? I meant Zava. Uh, do you want to talk about it? Uh, sure, he's nuts, but he'll help us win games. Uh, that time I was actually talking about <laughs> <Roy> and Keely. <laughs> and Roy goes, "Fuck's sake." Um. Uh, And now this is, again, this is the beauty of, I don't know what this is, enthusiasm, good-naturedness, Midwestern positivity. I don't know what it is, but Ted, he's got the solution for exactly Mm -hmm. this huge Mm -hmm, event. mm -hmm. And and what is it, uh, boss? He calls Will over and he says what? Uh, I need you to run to my apartment, go into my desk, and grab my CD called Ted's Breakup Mix, Okay. (laughs) Okay. And Will goes, got it. And go, okay. And Will says, what, coach? What's the CD? Yeah. What's the CD? Go, oh, boy. And of course, uh, boss's favorite, Beard, goes on it. And I loved this moment. Beard turns and heads out. Ted calls after him. Hey, coach, you're going to need my keys. And he throws them toward Beard. And I'm like, this is so funny because when you're building these characters, Beard would like, I expected Beard would just like put his arm up and hit him in the hand. Mm-hmm. Like I would just, they're oh, so insane. So cool. mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they would know. And then Beard just keeps going and the keys hit the ground. And he goes, I got a set. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Ted's keys hit the floor. Uh, Ted pats Will and says, thanks. Don't worry about it. Will doesn't literally does not know what a CD is. It's so funny. It's so great. I made um, a VHS joke one day, but made it like, <laughs> made it as in like, oh, some old shit. But VHS is so fucking old that the 2030-somethings, like, it wasn't funny to them because it was, like, a Vitrola. Like, they were like, what are you fucking yes. talking about? Yeah. No idea. Yes. And I was like, Try making wow. a Sony Walkman joke. Oh. I know. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah, you know, yeah. no, no. It's so yeah. old. It's, like, beyond old. But can I, quickly, I, I love the Beard Keys thing. That was great for a couple of reasons mm-hmm. I thought were, that are important for their relationship, sort of reestablishing who they are. One. Beard has a copy of Ted's home keys, and Ted doesn't even know that, and that's fine. Yes. Right? That's fine with Ted. (laughs) That's fine with us. Nobody on the team questions it. Like, somehow that makes all the sense in the world. Also, it struck me. I was like, of course he does. 
because he gave Ted his keys. He yes. got the keys made. Ted didn't take care of any of this. He, Ted's still walking past his apartment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I didn't yeah. I didn't I didn't read it as Ted didn't know. I just read it like Ted forgot. Like Oh really? Oh I thought that he Oh didn't. yeah, I read I it as like he know. was just unaware that Beard had the keys. But even even if he forgot, but to me it, it like it was just so funny that that's how many steps Beard stays ahead of Ted. That like yes. for the day you forget your keys because that day is coming. Yes. I've got a copy. And also given Beard's background with his own keys, oh, he might have good multiple point. copies. Good point. Good point. Um, but yeah, I I did love that there's so many things going on behind the scenes that Beard is apparently taking care of, mm-hmm. up to and including getting copies mm-hmm. of keys of Ted's keys made up. Yes. Of course he would do that. Right. Just in case. Whip wipes, no, Wi Fi password. Got it. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, way ahead of you, coach. Um, now Ted says, Roy, look, we're here for you. This is continuing the through line that coach loves. Uh, we're here for you. Look, okay, we've all been dumped before, right, fellas? She didn't dump me. I broke up with <laughs> I broke up with her. And Beard uh, screams for the third time, runs back in, and smashes yes. into Jamie. <laughs> and Roy goes, uh, this day couldn't get any worse. <laughs> and on cue... <laughs> Uh, oh god this is roy's personal simulation hell uh higgins leads trent Kremen, and higgins and this is the locker room hello boys i believe you all know trent Krim. uh trent says gentlemen uh what the fuck is this prick doing here and and uh trent's writing a book about our season so let's welcome with open arms and open minds and ted says absolutely and all the gods nod and smile Danny uh, uh, Rojas, Rojas is in the uh, like foreground, and we get a big, you know, picture of him with a giant smile on his face. He loves welcoming people. He loves to give joy for free. Uh, Roy, Roy goes, "Oi!" Just shuts everything down. Right? Silence. Listen up. No one says a fucking word around this prick. No one says a fucking. I'm just. I'm like, oh my god. Unless they want my forehead through their fucking skull. skull. We've seen him do it. Like that is not yeah. an empty threat. No, he he will give Colin a concussion, yeah. and then Colin can't drink. Right, right, right. Uh, I also uh, very quickly on Beard busting through the room. It was the most similar thing we've seen uh, to when. Uh, Ted oh. came busting back into Rebecca's office Great. for Caesar You Later. Caesar You Later, so right? Yeah, seeing they, both of them do a similar thing, their friendship is very deep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So everyone looks around in reaction to that. No one doubts it. Um, Higgins shakes his head at Trent and, and mouths, don't, don't worry. Uh, and then Roy storms out. Uh, Ted goes, okay, well, uh, and then slam, the door <laughs> cuts that off from Roy. Uh, we'll work out the specifics later. Uh, Ted laughs, but until then, uh, welcome Trent. And I, I can't even tell you how much I love this this next beat. I, oh my god, I love it so much. Danny beams and he goes woo with a fist bump, to- huge smile on his face. Trent smiles at him, and then the you know bumper catch like does the like no 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 like you cut throat cutting thing, and Jan Moss whacks him on the arm, and. Danny goes, I mean, fuck off, Trent Krim. <laughs> he says, fuck off, Trent. He said he really rolls his R's. Right, right. Trent Krim. Krim. Right. 
And I, I thought, oh my God. And then the right before we cut, you see Danny kind of looking around and nodding like, okay, yeah, I, whew, I saved that. Right. That was close. It was beautiful. God, I love Danny. I mean, fuck off. Have we heard him say fuck off to anybody before? I don't think we've heard him I swear, right? So. That's the first Danny swear. Uh, I'd have to think about that for a second, but certainly yeah. in the context of like cursing at like a, a real person seriously. The closest was the shoes, which mm, that was funny. Oh, yes, yes, The yes, shoes yes. at the funeral. There, there might have been some curse in there. Oh, right, right, he, right. There also might have been a lot of swears in Spanish, but definitely not mm. Engli- in English at a person. Right, right, right. Fuck off, Trent Cream. Um, okay, um, now um, we cut to a dance club scene. We we got Ready to Go by Republicus playing. Um a great song, uh, super upbeat, sets the mood. We see that it's a some form of shoot. Keely's looking at a monitor with a little lamb in the in frame, um, and then she gets a text. Uh, what does it say, Coach? Just heard the news. You tell me when. You tell me where, because I freaking know the why. Right. It's from Ted Ted Lasso. Um, and boss, can I toss it just real, real quick, coach? Yeah. And I, we don't even need to, to linger here. You, you, you've, you've said about me more than once that I have a lot of Ted Lasso to me. This moment captures that maybe as much as any. Like I, I am the person who, when your fucking sandcastle gets washed out, I'm the one who is definitely going to come just sit down next to you there and. Whatever you want to do, you want to fill up a new bucket, you want to build a new one, you want to sit here and cry, you want to curse at the ocean. Like this, that text, I do that. Like Facebook, when people are like, "Oh, my aunt died," not you know every single person, but a lot of people who are not like my best friends through life. If I get the sense they might need somebody to talk to, I send them a private message. I'm like, "Hey, I'm not trying to mind your business, but uh, I'm a great listener, and uh, if you just want to, if you just want to yell." I'm happy to sit on the other end of the phone line and let you yell, but sorry to hear about the bad. So this made me smile. I thought, like, nice, nice, nice move, Ted. If he doesn't do this, no one blames him. You don't think, like, oh, he's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. But that he would do it says a lot about him, I think. I will say that I am not that person necessarily. Although, to call back to the earlier of this episode, uh, I am the person who will have a bottle of tequila waiting for you. As Lizzo tells us in Good as Hell, that's a, that, that will be my role. That's hey, that is legit. I've had I've I've had that friend, and that is welcome a lot of times. someday we're gonna have to do some some deep thinking about this because I I always feel like there's two types of people that do that. One is the you coach, who who is the root of everything is a Ted Lasso. We I I. It is such it is such crystallized empathy mm. that you are thinking, shit, man, if I were him, I, I would feel this way, that way, and I'd, mm-hmm. I'd probably f- have a hard time, whatever, and it would be really nice to say this to someone. And you're like, I will insert myself. You completely lose all sense of yourself because mm. you, I've experienced this exact thing with you because mm. um, my life is a train wreck. <laughs> uh, so how many times have I gotten that text from you? And I'll, t- and I'll take you up on it because there aren't that many people that will listen that well. Mm. But there's also a really nefarious sort of um, dangerous person mm. who who is mm-hmm. also good at this. Mm-hmm. But they sense the weakness in a person and they sense the opportunity oh. to Ooh. sort of in, in 
ingratiate themselves with a broken person. You get, you see a lot of like, uh, people who date somebody coming off a rebound or, mm-hmm. uh, when, when I was in, in the film, in the film industry is rife with them. I remember there was this one, um, couple and they were both so good at it and they are very successful. And, but they would do things like if they were invited to like a child's birthday party, they would offer to make the cake for the child so that they would, even if they didn't know you very well, you know what I mean? They're like, Oh, don't mm-hmm. buy it. We'll just make it. We love making cake. And it, it's, seemed like oh you know that's really nice but it wasn't it was a manipulative strategy to sort of in, you know put them in a more in the center of the and it was just oof. anyway um thankfully coach is not that type of person but um i'm always on the lookout for for that type i'm always wary of people who uh jump in into the fray when bad things happen so i'm like mm, which one are you um you know who are, yeah. we, let's keep an eye out for it and this really is me wondering it would be later rupert and especially because he's mm-hmm. got our boy, uh, he's got our boy Nate yeah. over there. I, I would be sorry about that. I've got my boy Biggie over here, but uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think Rupert is definitely the type who you might in one moment think like, oh, we've struck up this genuine relationship. It's a bit like what Rebecca said, right? He, you know, made such a fuss, you know. Oh, well, we'll get to, but you know. He makes you feel mm-hmm. special. And I think it's when special. you feel special like that, you think, oh, I can tell you my secrets. And I'm, I'm actually mm-hmm. thinking about one work person who stabbed me in the back so effectively. Part of me did want to, like, congratulate them. Like, I was like, wow. <laughs> wow. Like, you are fucking good at that. Like, I did not yeah. see that shit coming at all. You weren't happy about it, but you were impressed. I was, yeah. Like, level. there was, yeah, there was a yeah. basic level of, like, oh, we're at war for the rest of our lives, but... Pretty nice, man. Pretty good stuff. You are a worthy adversary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, cool. Um, so, Boss, can you walk us through this next scene? Um, after Keely gets the text from Ted, just heard the news. You tell me when, you tell me where, because I freaking know the why. Um, what uh, happens? Walk us through the scene, please. Uh, director yells, cut. And thank you, folks. Moving on. Keely says to her client, okay, now the lamb chugs the Kafka mini and poof, turns into a smoking hot lion. I I know the word lion and lamb. I'm not entirely sure what Kafka mini is. It, you know what? Actually, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's so uh, that's that's me extrapolating because I don't know. There are no there were no subtitles and yeah, and no, the screener. And I'm like Kafka mini. And I'm like, is it a. I can't tell what it, I couldn't tell. And I don't know if I spelled it right. I don't know. It, well, no, I'm sure it is also because, you know, it's this show. Why wouldn't they throw out a reference to Kafka? Right. Of course. Right. That's fine. Um, uh, so then the client is saying, right, but we can't actually make the lamb dra- drink the Kafka mini. Keely, oh, no, of course not. The guy says, oh, okay, good. Uh, we were told by the people in the lab, the lab cannot drink it. And the but another man says, no, yeah, he will die instantly. She says something about the enzymes. Keila says, I totally get it. And then as she's turning around, as she's standing there listening to them whisper, somebody shouts, Keely fucking Jones. Oh, all right. Which, now, wait a sec. Hold on. Before wait, before we okay. jump into that, I love that. Great job, boss. I wanted to ask, Coach, have you ever been on a commercial shoot at all? Yes. Briefly, but I, yes, I've been on one. It's so funny because we uh, we came up through the film industry, 
And I've done a bunch of commercials uh, over the years, and it always cracks me up because the intersection, it's different than being on a film set or TV or whatever, because everybody speaks the same language in that world. Everybody has like a general sort of understanding operating philosophy. When you're on a commercial set, you have the clients who are business people usually. So it's like the difference between like, you know, I don't think it's changed, but in the old days, like nobody with a film resume would ever be on LinkedIn because they're like, why would I like, that's a business thing. I don't, you know, it would be like certain, you know, business people would, would or use Blackberries and film people would use iPhone, you know, whatever, or, or vice versa, depending on the scenario. But it, it was really funny. You know, this, this struck me as people who have done it and are poking a lot of fun at the clients because <laughs> it really is awkward and strange and that intersection because you really do like you're used to just shooting you know in a studio or you're shooting on a, on a sound stage or set or whatever and then you go to these places where you shoot and and there's business people there who are second guessing all of your creative decisions but they're not creative people you know and you go oh god it is and it is it is excruciating. And this struck me as someone who's really done it and knows that, you know, they know that world. And uh, it made me, it was like a little, you know, joke within a joke to me. I'm like, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Like somebody knows what they're talking about here. It's really funny. Um, Okay. Keely fucking Jones, take it away, boss. Uh, So I would like to say whenever anybody shouts Keely fucking Jones, it's either going to be it. Well, anytime it's first name, fucking last name. You're either about to have a very bad time or running into your best friend from college. There's no in between. Luckily, in this case, Keely turns around basically the same line outfit that Keely wore in season one. <clears throat> Excuse me. And she shouts back, Shandy fucking fine. By the way, I didn't know a woman in college whose last name was fine. That is an excellent last name to have. Like Chambers is good. I like Chambers. But having your last name be fine is an excellent choice. Um, And they are shouting, oh, my God, I didn't know you were doing this. Uh, I didn't know you owned a skirt that covered your whole ass is what Shandy says to Keely, which is great. Uh, And then they're talking about, oh, hold on. You borrowed and never returned many of those skirts. And she said, oh, and I never will. One of the perks of living with you and the girls establishing they've known each other from back in the day, roommates. Uh, She says, oh, the girls, how are they? How's Chloe? I'm married to footballer. And Emma? Married to footballer. What about you? Married to footballer, divorced to footballer, and now I'm back here doing this. But enough about me. I saw you were in Vanity Fair, fully clothed, and I cried. I'm so proud of you, babe. So I also like that it was another immediate, pleasant interaction between two women like between sassy and rebecca and sassy and keely and sassy and keely again we have a lot of very excited shouty women seeing each other and being thrilled about that and i thought it was interesting that keely she says it was so proud of you babe we all are and, and keely goes proud of me why like it was very yes. surprising to keely she actually was like why and she's like because you made it all mm-hmm. out all by yourself uh okay so Keely's really genuinely uh, surprised, and she's like, proud of me. Why? And uh, Shandy says, because you made it out all by yourself. 
Yeah, the, the 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 thing is, like, when you grow up in the kind of place people make it out of, like, that's a very specific energy. And I was really glad that it got brought up here. I was just thinking of even, like, growing up in, in New York and, and when, you know, rappers were first, you know, hitting the scene. And I remember Special Ed was from Flatbush. And I remember, like, of all the things we were excited about, and yes, Brooklyn for sure, but he was from Flatbush. Like, when he... You know, I remember in the song, he was like, they couldn't harm me. They, I brought the army brigade and it was the grand art. We knew what he was talking about. Like, we knew exactly what he was talking about. And, um, there is a, 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 like an extended pride that folks have in situations like that. So I just, I just mm-hmm. thought it was like a cool touch and I, and I bought it. Yeah. I think the, um, suburban white girl version of that is, uh, the chicks have a song called Long Way Down. And the first lines are, my friends from high school married their high school boyfriends, moved into houses in the same zip code where their parents live. It's not the same kind of getting out, but there is a little bit of a, if you don't, if you do something else with your life, even to the smallest extent, people are like, oh, Mm -hmm, hey. mm -hmm. So, so you moved to New York. How about that? But. It's it's not exactly the same, but I I feel a little yeah. Old. No, I hear you, and I mean we were talking about it before the recording started of you know folks sticking around and that whole mm-hmm. so it is an interesting thing of who stays, who goes, yeah, who goes, yes. Also, I was wrong. It turns out that it's two miles, not in a mile and a half, between my current apartment and the house where I was born. That literally. is amazing. Oh wow, I am yeah over <laughs> three thousand miles away, and yeah. It's amazing to me. Actually, one of the first times that that occurred to me, I my, one of my last few jobs, I worked um, at a nonprofit that worked in restoring human rights in for everyone. But I worked in the international department, so we had offices in Iraq, in Ivory Coast, in Nigeria, and Mexico, and all these places. And so we worked with a lot of people from a lot of different areas. And one guy was telling me about how he was born in Syria and moved to Jordan and then did college in Lebanon and then moved here. And so like, he'd been everywhere. And I was like, I've lived like 60 miles, like no more than 60 miles from here, which I love where I live and everything else. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't leave just here. I feel like that's a, I feel like that's a like a special episode. I don't. I don't know how, how I've decided that, but something inside me tells me, "Oh, Orlando, you want to hear that story? You want to?" No, that was a boyfriend. I shouldn't have been dating. I knew at the time I shouldn't have been dating him. And even yeah, you just do stupid things when you're 20. This is true. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, Keely says, "What is that smell?" And there's a. Animal Wrangler there. Apologies. Lamb dropping is one of nature's most unpleasant aromas. Just be grateful. Clarice here is over 30 days old. And we can go. Her poop looked like sour yellow toothpaste. And then yes. this, this uh, PA or whatever, so someone helping on the set tries to sweep it up with a little, one of the little, you know, extended dust. I don't know what they call those, the little sweeper thing where, where it's the dust pail and the broom that go together. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? They both have long mm-hmm. handles. I just don't know what they call those. Um, it's like a dust, dust, I don't know, whatever the heck it is. And, and Shandy says, no, 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 don't try to sweep it up. You got to pick it up like, uh, uh, like sushi or it'll smear. 
And she says, I was married to a footballer. And I was like, wait, yeah. what? Yeah, why does Wild. that, how does yeah, that work Yeah, there's out? a bit of like, oh dear. Like, what? What? Yeah. what is the rest of that information? But yeah, she was she was right. So, yikes. Mm-hmm. So the woman picking up the tiny pellets turns around like the broom and dustbin handle and starts picking them up one by one with the very tips of the... I'm like, oh my God, like the, the, the degree of difficulty. I'm like, this is hell. And Shandy goes, that's it. Cheers. Bye. Um, and in comes the client again. Um, with, and this is, remember that we opened on uh, Barbara telling uh, Keely, like, hey, just do not go do overtime. Like, that's just, just don't do that. Here comes the client. Keely says, yeah. Hey, Keely. Uh, she says, yes. Uh, Julian and I think the club feels too empty. Yeah, it should feel totally packed. I mean, can we get maybe another hundred extras? And he, Keely's like, I've seen this. This happens all the time. This is not. This is not um, abnormal. This is exactly what happens uh, because they just get a feeling and they go, "Hey, this is what we want." Like, is it possible to like get like a private jet in the background? Or oh, oh, like right <laughs> this second? You want a private jet? You want to just change? Should we just do a location move like right now? <laughs> You know, because on your whim, they have no, right, right, you know, right. and some people do, some people, do. it's not fair to say none of them do, right. but I just see it so many times. Um, and Keely goes, 100 more right now? And Clyde's like, yeah, like, no, straight faced, yeah. And Sh- Shandy comes in and says, what, boss? You could just add a strobe effect in post and have people cl- cross close to camera and feel really packed and you won't have to spend any more money. Yeah, it'll feel really packed. I want to spend money. I love that. Let's do that. Thank you so much. And Kaylee says, look at you basically running the shoot. And Shandy says, maybe one day I'll make it out like you did. Um, and Keely, like that catches Keely. She's like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, because Keely is the kind of person who, when she gets out, will not turn her back on the community she came from. If you correct. want out, she will help you correct. out also. I would add yes. to that, Keely seems to be the kind of person who takes an idea no matter where it came from, which is also reminiscent yes. of uh, the, the Ted way of doing things, right? Like, this is pretty kit yep. man in charge of the uh, the attack. Like, this is a, a huge yep. shoot. Like, we are going out of the gate, and you're listening essentially to an extra because you borrowed some of your skirts. But the advice is right, and, she, and it's, it's, a good, it's a good answer. Yes. Also, just to avoid the tweets later, uh, the fact that the lamb is named Clarice is, in fact, a stroke of genius. I laughed. So I'm glad you pointed that out because I thought you, re- wow, yeah, they right. just, you referenced it right. There's just if there's a joke there, they will take it. Like, <laughs> I love yeah. that. No, it's sculpted, man. It's it's just amazing. Um, um, I will. I don't mean to tinkle on your toenails here, but I just want to point I want to point point something out. Um, how, what is, do you guys remember, uh, in, in, you're saying Keely is not the type of person that will, uh, forget someone once, once she's quote unquote out, whatever that means. Right. Um, I think one of the, the big defining characteristics of, um, people who got out and one of the, one of the worst things that can ever happen to people who quote unquote got out of a, of a scenario that coach was was explaining is to forget what it was like to be in and thereby lose credibility with the people who are still in this is one of the mm-hmm. one of the grand um uh you know sort, sort of commandments that you cannot break 
Um, so Keeley is not likely to do that. When Keeley was obsessing at the end of last season about having to not obsessing, it's not the right word. She was, um, she had some trepidation around telling Rebecca what had happened for her about the VC and getting her own thing. Remember? And we mm-hmm. cut to this scene where they're just crying, right? They're just ugly crying together. And Rebecca's so happy for her. Do you remember what Rebecca's only advice for Keely was <gasps> in that scene? You're right. Hire your best friend. Right. Oh, Hire your best friend. Yeah. I did okay, not so, think of that at all. Great catch. Now, okay, but I'm going to also poke poke holes in in that um that thing because I think that's what they're doing. But they might they might not. I don't know. What I what I what I want to point out is when Keely catches up with Shandy, right? They clearly live together, right? We could establish that. They used to borrow clothes. I have this sense, and and maybe I'm wrong. Sometimes to get out, you have to distance yourself from people who want to keep you in. And that is a betrayal of sorts in some way. So when Keely is catching up with Shandy, she says, how's um, Emma, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, married, married to football, right? She says, how's um, Chloe, right? So we know Chloe, Emma, Keely, and Shandy were the girls. That's a quick right? Right? But Shandy is still in touch with Emma and Chloe, and and – Keely is so out of touch with all of them that she wasn't invited to any of the weddings. Mm-hmm. So I go, okay, what, you know, I, I just, I'm putting it on people's radar. So I'm like, okay, it's interesting. I, I, I really thought of the hire your best friend. Right. But I also think like, oh, they're not really, you know, maybe it was distancing herself from these girls that actually made it possible for her to, because sometimes people won't let you see. I'll never forget, and, and God, these well, these stories all uh, blend together, but the Patriots, who everybody hates, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Before the Patriots mm-hmm. were the team everybody hated, they sucked. And they had a, a fantastically talented quarterback named Drew Bledsoe. And Drew Bledsoe is just like a real sort of, uh, about what six through four six five like tall drink of water strong arm he threw for thirty thousand yards like he's not a he's not like a joke quarterback he's a real mm-hmm. quarterback mm-hmm. but you always wondered why he never just like after tom brady came in drew Bledsoe was completely forgotten even though he was beloved in new england um and and is now sort of kind of gaining some some, some traction being beloved again I remember hearing the story that the backup quarterback, a guy named Scott Zolak, who went on to become a local sportscaster um, in New England and, and ended up having his own second career that was very successful. Um, and again, I, I don't know if I shouldn't say that this is not an attack on Scott Zolak or attack on Drew Bledsoe or anything like that. But I heard that there was this dynamic in the locker room where anytime Brady – Zolak was the bigger personality in the locker room. Even though he's the backup quarterback, he was a naturally bigger presence. Drew Bledsoe was a little bit reserved, and anytime Drew would sort of try to step up and take like a, a role of initiative or that sort of thing, um, Scott Zolak would kind of like mock him and kind of keep friendly. Not, not again. It was nothing, whatever. But, but some dynamic there wouldn't let. Drew Bledsoe get to the place where he needed to go. And I, and I thought about that when I heard, when I thought about this scene with Keely and Shandy and I'm like, maybe, you know, sometimes you just, you just have to sort of, you know, distance yourself from a certain group in order to reimagine what you could be. 
because other people won't let you forget if you stay with them. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think, I, so I'm thinking back about, like, I have one close friend from high school. That, that's it. I have one person from my entire high school that I talked to that is not uh, named Chambers, essentially. So I've got the one friend. And then from college, I also have one very close friend who I've mentioned before. She's Sunshine and Rainbows, and I love her. Um, and there are a bunch of people from college that if I ran into tomorrow, I'd be like, oh, shit, we should catch up. Like, no hard feelings or anything, just sort of losing touch. And I wonder how much of that is, given Keeley's age, how much of this was early 20s, you live with four other girls, you were out doing wild shit at four in the morning that you weren't expecting to. Um, and maybe she did need to lose touch. Maybe she needed to grow up a little bit and lo- get, gain some space from that. And also, yes, like there is something about having somebody who's known you forever. And you could be like, remember that one time we did this, but also there's somebody always there to say, remember that one time you threw up on everybody at that party? Like, I, I do think that it's a little of both. You don't want to turn your back on people who have always been there for you, but you also want everyone who has always been there for you to continue being for there for you as you grow and evolve. So, I, Or at least grow and evolve at the same rate or in, or in a rate, way yes. that doesn't restrict either one of you. That's right. Yeah, because people change. Yeah. And I'm wondering um, in – the gala episode, season one, episode four, for the children, when Keely is talking about how she was 22 and dating uh, a footballer, and now she's 29 and dating a football. Like, it, that might have also been that they got married to their first footballers, and that was what they did, and she had a different path. So the fact that Shandy was so excited to see her, and she was so excited to see Shandy, makes me feel like... Shandy genuinely was proud of her for getting out. And there is a lot of best friend feelings there. They're not best friends now, but they were best friends at a point, And that relationship tends to remain. Yeah, that's good. And we do see like the show is, is mature and honest about um, how people drift. We, we, you know, we saw with, with um, Sassy and Rebecca, how, you know, th- their, their relationship took a hit. And so, yeah. I mean, but there, there, there's this thing that they do where there's always a road back if you decide to both choose it. If there's mutuality in the road back, um, and this is what I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I've railed against how much like the Nate uh, Colin speech set me off. But I go, I bet you anything they're going to paint a road back that I don't like. I would be like, I don't want that guy back. But I feel like uh, that could be in the offing um, because it's Ted Lasso. Uh, Anyway, we cut from Keely having that moment where she turns to Shandy and goes, yeah, like, you know, maybe one day I'll make it out like you did. Keely has a moment of thought before she sits back down at Video Village. And we cut to Rebecca's office. She's getting a call on her laptop, incoming call. She says, hello, mother. And super, super friendly. Yeah. Uh, Walk us through this scene, boss. Uh, so her mom, uh, <laughs> oh my God, darling, I'm so pleased to hear your voice. I dreamt last night that you'd been murdered. It's <laughs> a weird thing to say. It's fine. Uh, okay. Nope. Still here. Still, still here. Wait, why are you in a hotel room? I thought you were meant to be on some three day spiritual camping retreat. Three days is too long to go camping, by the way, everybody. Two days tops. 
It's uh, same Fair as enough. Vegas. One day is good. Two days is perfect. Too Three much. days is too much. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and she says, oh, I am. I'm not sleeping out there, though. Far too many stars. I keep thinking they're all staring at me, you know? Nothing narcissistic about that. <laughs> Definitely paying for an outdoor camping experience and then refusing to camp under the stars because they might be looking at you. I mean, I'm sort of self-involved. And even for me, that's a lot. <laughs> that's the, the, I, really Rebecca's reaction to that was so great. She just like closes mm-hmm. her eyes and like, she nods like, cause she's like, I got to mm-hmm. get through this. It's my mother. But she's just like, Oh my God, <laughs> like and pain. I, uh, I feel like I'm talking a lot of bad stories about my mom. I want to be very clear. I think she's great. We're very, like, not friends because she's still your mom. But I like her. I really like hanging out with her. We're very similar. If you ever meet us in real life, you'll understand. In fact, uh, yesterday at this ballet recital that we went to, she had my ticket and her ticket on her phone and accidentally scanned both when she gave them to the woman and then said to the ticket taker, Oh, one of these is for my daughter. She looks just like me, but she's 30 years younger. Her name is Emily. When she comes in, you'll know. Like, you can't, you can't just say that to people, Kathy. She does, she's not actually going to know who Emily is, but this is how we roll. Um, sometimes when my mom says something, it's not my, the closing my eyes and nodding. It's just looking very deeply at her and going, oh, okay, we're, we're just going to let that slide and we're going to keep moving in the conversation because I can't deal with that right now. So it is a universal mother thing, I think. But you call your mom Kathy, right? I do call her Kathy. That is a thing. That, but that is because we are so similar. Like we're, um, there was a joke from way back in the day when I had extremely short hair and extremely no boobs. I looked exactly like my younger brother and they would call us the twins. And one time he was bringing groceries in and he was just standing at the door. And I said, why didn't you call for me? And he said, if you were my real twin, you could have heard me calling on the inside. And so now. I love that. Wow. Now I I can hear Kathy calling on the inside. She is now my twin and no longer my younger brother. So it's it's weird, but it works. Um, Yes. So uh, I keep thinking they're all staring at me. Keep thinking they're all staring at me. Uh, She closes her eyes. Her mom says, oh, actually, I've got some great news for you. I spoke to Tish the other day, and she's agreed to consider meeting with you. Agreed to consider meeting with you is the same as Homer saying, I can't promise I'll try, but I promise I can try to try. (laughs) You're so many steps from getting anything done that it doesn't matter. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And her mom is excited about that. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm, This feels mm -hmm. like progress to her. Yeah. Rebecca says, oh, wow, your psychic has actually agreed to let me pay her a lot of money to speak with her. Amazing. And her mom says, well, no, she's considering it. But I think if you meet a meeting with Tish would be the perfect thing for you because, well, you are in desperate need of maternity. Oh, my God. Unironically. Can I stop? Unironically. That was phenomenal. Of course course we need to talk about that. That was so. (laughs) I stared at my screen. I was like, wait, what'd she say? What did she just say? Yeah. Yeah. You're in need of uh, maternal guidance, so I got you a psychic. That's not a thing your mom's ever did for you? The the simultaneous cluelessness and awareness Mm -hmm. is really 
you know, for the ages. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. You are in desperate need of <laughs> maternal guidance. Huh. I wonder why. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, my mother has never, you know, uh, prevented, has never withheld maternal guidance from me. But she has booked me with psychics before. She has gotten me sessions to talk to psychics. This is a thing. Oh, yeah. Man, I wish you could meet Kathy. It would be such a fucking trip. <laughs> One of these times, it'd be hysterical. That is funny. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, Tish is uh, going to be giving her the desperately needed maternal guidance. Uh, oh, there's just a group of people gathering outside for scream therapy, which is my favorite bit. So better go now because I mustn't use my voice. And she says, I like Rebecca goes, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you, you, called, you me. called me. Um, and then her mom's gone. Phone, phone. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that is, that's an injection of pure crazy. Now I, I ruined the drum circle earlier because I wasn't thrilled about t- Trent Krim. Do you guys like um, uh, Harriet Walter, the the actor who plays Deborah Welton? Do you like Deborah Welton? I mean, I think she's no. doing an amazing job. Right. Like, what? A, what? A, no, no. But do you like the character of Deborah Welton? Uh, in terms of comedic relief, obviously she's hilarious. As a person, no, I would not want to hang out with her. And she's even seemingly a selfish enough person that I would not be able to be around her ironically. There are some people that like friends of friends or whoever else, a a friend's spouse that you might not care for or something. Sometimes they're bad in a way where you can be like, well, you're terrible, but you don't actually impact me enough that I have to worry about your terribleness. I can just appreciate it. She does not seem like that kind of person. I like... I hadn't, you, you sort of sent me down a, a road in terms of that description. And and I guess what I do like about the character, so it's not like, would I be friends with their world? But what I do like about the character is she really does exist in her own universe. Like that's a, that's a, that's a, a type of sitcom character, right? In their own, and, and, but she's a very specific version of it. And I like that you see even consequences to that, right? The fact that she's like, oh, Ruby. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like, I get that that's how you get through <laughs> shit, but your daughter obviously felt, like, betrayed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she needed you to yes. stand next to her and be like, no, you're right. He's he's an asshole, right? Or I, I think, yeah, I, I feel like we're seeing, whereas that would just be a nutty character that would come through in a, in a generic comedy we're seeing that there's, you know, there's real world consequences, good and bad yeah. to all of it. Yeah. I feel like on a lesser comedy, she would be the wacky, annoying neighbor who comes through every once in a while instead of being a main 100%. character's mother who had a real and significant impact on that person's life. I mean, when she heads back, you know, oh, you know, your, your food's in the fridge. You know, dad bought me a Tesla. I was like, <sighs> God damn. Like I, like, I was so deeply disappointed and bothered and just like, yeah, I was, yeah. Th- that was not like, oh, like I was, that made, that took a little getting, you know, used to. And then obviously we have the yeah. moment in the church, which I thought was incredibly powerful and she has dimension. But again, I felt like, hey, our kids are watching us, yeah. man. Like you did what you did. So I think, yeah, I think that that's part of the thing is that 
Being a parent is incredibly difficult. I am not one because it is incredibly difficult. I am not here to criticize people who are parents. That full disclaimer. However, the reason that Rebecca had to deal with that on her own is because her mom was so self-absorbed and self-centered that she wasn't watching out for her child to see if Rebecca needed something with that. So it like she didn't know, but she didn't know when she was supposed to. You're still at fault for that. Yeah, it's yeah, she's she's she feels like she leaves a wake of destruction a little bit, uh, emotional destruction in Rebecca's life, and so that part, you know, that part's a little bit tough to stomach. I will say that, like, I think in, in general, my my natural inclination is to defend women of a certain um, peer. There's a there's a t- thing that happens where we erase women after a certain age, or once they partner with a man, now they become somebody's wife or whatever, or once they become a mother, then that's their identity. You know, they lose this, they lose something. And for whatever it is, and we're not going to have time to, we could go spend an entire podcast about this concept. Um, But I keep seeing remarkable things happening with women whose children are grown with women who realize um, they got that they got stuck in a, in a role based on what they were willing to accept in society and with their spouse or with their family or whatever. And then, then something happens. Like it's like right around 50 ish kids are, are gone out of the house. And then women have this second like awakening or something. And I'm like, this is the most amazing thing. And I see it everywhere and I go, God, and it just gets a, even now society just doesn't highlight it, but women start to like really take control of their own narrative and you know so i'm fine that she's there with screen there scream therapy and more people should should experience these things and explore you know things that they didn't take the time either because society prevented them from it or because just basic you know time management of having children or whatever prevented them from even having the the energy to think about what they wanted mm-hmm. um and what they were entitled to and what and what they need to be forced to accept by society. So um, I just feel like it's something that gets erased and I want to put a, just, just sort of mention it because I keep seeing unbelievable things happen with women who at some point in their life go, you know what? Like, fuck this. Like, yeah, I'm, you know, yeah. try something else. Uh, it's just it's, amazing to watch. Women go through fucks to give so quickly in our twenties and thirties that by the time you hit 40, you're like, well, I'm out. I can't anymore. I've got nothing else. You stop caring what other people think about you. It's phenomenal. I love getting older. I'm I'm so hardcore at Nick Miller where I'm growing into my personality. But yes, I think that uh, being of a certain age as a woman, not having the pressure of being expected, not that women in their 40s and 50s aren't hot because like Jamie Lee Curtis is out there and Michelle Yeoh is out there doing it just this past week at the Oscars. Um, But once you are no longer under the microscope as intensely, either by being hot or being desirable for marriage or keeping it tight, even though you're a mom, like all that bullshit, once society stops putting all that pressure on you and you can just do whatever the fuck you want and not care anymore, you could just do really amazing things. And it's great. But sometimes doing those things does mean that you're not that great of a mom. Like, I don't think that it's bad for us to be seeing Deborah like this. I just think that it is a character that is 
hard to empathize with at times. And I am happy to see a woman on screen who is not a villain, but who we aren't necessarily supposed to be best friends with. I love that. And I love that that makes, that gives her dimension, right? She's not yeah. just Rebecca's mother. Like, I mean, she's a yes. person on the journey. We may all sort of look at each other along her way and go, seriously, Trish, you know, so crazy that you call yes. her and all that kind of stuff. But she's on the journey she's on. Part of that was having a daughter, but it wasn't all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's really, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think we, we, I saw an article or something, anyway, I saw something that was about basically these moms who were saying like, man, this fucking sucks, essentially. <laughs> like, they were like, these, it wasn't just like, yeah. oh, being a mom is hard. We're like, nah, man, this was some bullshit. I did not like it. And what I took for, you know, what I was taking from it was how absolutely foreboding that sentiment is. How, like, the reactions were actually, to me, as or more uh, interesting than what was being said, because it was like, how dare you? And it's like, well, we all have different experiences. We like some experiences more than others. Why does this person have to enjoy cleaning, you know, mashed peas out of a carpet? Like, why? And and, But we demand it. And why is it their assumed job alone based on gender roles or whatever that it is there. Well, right. Yes, no, right. right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. To, um, yeah. It's an interesting thing for me to watch. It's that role of mother, even the, 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 you know, I don't want to get too far into, you know, this stuff, but you have the conversations around Roe and these clinics, these fake, you know, health clinics where they say, t- Oh, yep. you know, you're going to want to be a mom someday and you're going to regret. Th-. And it's like, or not. Like, I don't, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, seriously, yeah, maybe someday. Well, you know, that maybe. boss, you said more than once, like, you don't want to be a parent. And I have so much respect for that. Mm-hmm. My One of my biggest arguments about, about the whole abortion question is not nearly as deep as it should be. And it is simple as this. If you don't want to be a parent, I don't want you to be a parent. How's that? Yes. That's just, it's not any more complicated than that. This shit is way too hard and way too complicated to make motherfuckers do it. <laughs> I love the shit out of my kids. And more than once I've been like, fuck this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's very fair. You know? Yeah. And in fairness, you had twins. Which, oh, my God. Which yeah. is, the, is the fuck this. Oh, like, my God. Ultimate fuck. Oh right. God. It's a totally different... I have four kids and, but uh, over 10 years and, and yeah. coach, when I, I remember when you first, I remember pictures of you feed, you know, feeding both and, you know, that whole, it, cause you're like, Oh, especially as a first time parent, there's no ramp up. You're that's just like, it? I am now in the fire. Oh, yeah. There, that's it. I'm burning alive here. We had some friends and, come over yeah. and we were like just talking to them and handing off kids and feeding and changing diapers, but just like, in the flow of conversation. And we just noticed their, you know, slack faced <laughs> looks. And we realized like, oh, this is not at all a normal thing for you to see. This is our every day. Like, I don't have to say, hey, change this diaper. Daphne doesn't have to say, here's the bottle. Like, we're just, we are here. 
Like we are in it. So mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, have I told you about the uh, This American Life where a guy was talking about having twins? No. Uh, Josh Carpetti. I okay. had to look it up. Uh, it was on an episode and he's talking to his buddy and he says, they call them twins. I don't know why they call them twins. They sh- you know what they should call them? Two fucking babies at one time. Because that's what you end up with. You've got two fucking babies at one time and they call them twins. That is 100% correct. And they even, yeah, it's hundred percent correct. Yeah, I always think when people say I have twins, I think you've got two fucking babies at one time. That's so many, so many that babies is so at one time. So many babies at one time, and you'd think like, oh, they're babies, so like in the middle of the night we'll feed them. <laughs> That's funny. No, someone's no, gonna be up from one no, thirty to three thirty, and then someone else <laughs> at three thirty-five. No, not because not three thirty, because three thirty would mean you're still like. On your feet. No, no. It's going to be after you've put your head on a fucking pillow. (laughs) That you're going to get. It's unbelievable. I hope you like each other, parents of twins. Yeah. No shit. Uh, Yeah. Right? Um, The next scene that we're going to start with is when Higgins uh, walks into Rebecca's office and he says, I have an update with the meeting on Zava. And Rebecca's great. He's like, Zava doesn't want to meet with us. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna leave it right there and we are gonna pick this up next time on part two of um of Ted Lasso season three, episode two. Um and that'll be the um that'll be the next thing we take we pick up. I don't want to go to Chelsea, part two. Uh really, really great stuff coming up in in for the rest of the episode. Um coach, where can people find you if they want to find you? Sorry, on uh, Instagram, I am at BK2, the number two LA, as in Brooklyn to LA. And uh, our online community for Align is We Align. So that's We Align, all one word, dot align, P dot com. So those are probably the two best ways to find me. And what about you, boss? Mostly I'm on Twitter, swearing a lot, um, at Dumbly Chambers. That's like Emily Chambers if I were dumb. Okay. And you can find me at, uh, antagonistblog.com. Support your, your local blog. Support your, uh, support your the starving writers everywhere. Pajiba.com. Wonderful people across both blogs. Writer owned, writer run, writer managed, writer suffering as far as the eye can see. Uh, so please, please, please help everybody out. And, um, we will be back with part two. Um, in our next episode and coach you're up this time until then coach we are richmond till we die see you next time the tedcast is a joint venture between pajiba and the antagonist visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com